All right, guys, what is happening? We're back again. Another episode, the Off Track Experience. Um, sorry it's been so long between episodes. I've had a lot on. I've actually um, recently moved and just been training, life, all this other stuff's gotten in the way and the podcast has kind of been pushed to the back. But um, really excited to get back into it. I've actually got a whole heap of new gear, which is um, pretty exciting to use. So going to try and be uh, bringing out a lot more episodes, a bit more professional with them as well. I'm going to make a little studio at home. So we're actually going in on this, which is um, it's pretty cool. It's something I really like doing, get a lot of good feedback from it. So it's going to be something I'm going to keep pursuing. So really, really into it. And um, it, get just get excited when people come up to me and say they like it and they're into it and hopefully grow it a bit more and, yeah, make it into something pretty cool. But I'm really excited on this episode. Got a good friend of mine, Josh Carlson, that um, sat down with me here after the Enduro here at Medina. Uh, just before we go into national champs and um, it was actually a really good chat. We, um, we talk a lot about like preparation and racing and uh, mindfulness, gratitude, um, just mental coaching that, we, that we've, both, um, we've both gotten and that's helped us both um, a lot in our racing careers and helping us now. So really cool to dive into that and his background in motocross and cross country, the highs and lows of becoming a professional racer and how it's not all just like from the outside it looks really good but when you actually kind of scratch the surface and go a bit deep, you can see it's a, there's a lot of struggle involved into making it a proper job. So yeah, it's cool to hear his perspective on that and what he's doing now and racing an e-bike category and really going after that. So it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes with that, but really cool sitting down with Josh. But one last thing before we get into it, I'd like to thank my sponsors. We've actually got some more now, which is pretty cool. Crush, uh, bike, wash and uh, lubricants have got on board. So we're actually going to be setting up a little booth tomorrow at um, national championships and then trying to get a heap of people to sit down and, get some new perspectives and stuff and just yeah, trying to get a heap of people in. So that's cool to have. Uh, bluegrass helmets as always are keeping it rolling. And we're also going to get uh, shingleback bike racks are going to jump on board and we're actually going to get a code um, hopefully in the coming episodes that we can, um, you guys can put on their website and get a little bit of a discount off their rack. So hopefully get that going soon. And yeah, just it's cool to see it kind of start growing. It kind of came out of nothing. It was just me running around World Cup with a little microphone and now... I guess I'm just doing the same thing. I've just got some, some some more gear and some more people behind me. But yeah, cool to to see where it's going and where it's um where it started from. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and enjoyed the podcast. Cheers. Oh, that's not bad, is it? A little bit of tongue action in there. I, I feel like you're just going to be a radio presenter now. See, just this makes you want to do podcasts. This is the this is the selling point right here. I want this should be part of the ad. This is what do you mean part of the ad? Of selling this stuff. Of, well, maybe, of selling a roadcaster or just yeah. wear headphones. But maybe both. Because you know the first, like I did podcasting and I didn't see the whole point of wearing headphones and I didn't wear headphones for ages. Yeah, I went, oh. now now you put, you yeah I went on to this. I went on Gypsy Tales and yeah. I had a hat on and I like didn't want to take my hat off because I didn't want to have hat hair and Jace is like do you want headphones like nah I'm good and I swear he looked at me like like you want headphones and now I see why and like because like, you wanted to wear a hat on a podcast. Yeah. That no one's going to see it. No, no, it makes sense. It <laughs> no, it got, it got recorded. Yeah. No, but not that I want to wear a hat, but I thought oh, I'm just going to have like stupid hat hair. So I didn't right. want to like, yeah, I was a bit shallow then. <laughs> yeah, no, can... it makes sense. Yeah. On a podcast, no one can see you. You don't want to <laughs> have hat hair. <laughs> he recorded the podcast as well. <laughs> sure, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So, um, hey, go on, John. John yeah, Carlson. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> You're actually getting the, the trial run for the new gear, which is like, yeah, part of the uh, the appeal to be on here. You actually get the headphones and the actual proper mic stand and everything. Yeah, that's why I waited. Yeah, I, did, I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to deal with any Hunter podcast procedures, yeah, yeah, productions. Because yeah, I've no. been trying to tee this up for a while. And yeah, there I, was knew. A, I knew. <laughs> I knew about the procedure. <laughs> I heard. Yeah. I kept my car radio maxed out. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These guys yeah. have been in touch with me. So, nah, 
just wait. <laughs> just wait. I'm not ready for this. <laughs> this show on pony act right now. Yeah, my uh, my voice needs to sound smooth. Get get some headphones and my microphones and then talk to me. <laughs> then talk to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Make I me think, sound sensual. Because I think I came through. That was probably that's probably when I start, we started. I guess talking more or less. It was like twenty end of 2019. I think yeah. I hit. I think I hit you up. Yeah, and it was right when uh, I think all of our shit kind of hit the fan. I think we're in a similar spot of trying to figure out what to do and like how to save our jobs really. And like, you know, some other avenues you were talking about your podcast, you were talking about where you're going to live mm. at the time. You're seriously tossing up Wollongong, I think. Yeah. You had a deal in Newcastle and then. Um, I still love Wollongong. Like I can definitely see myself, maybe not, I don't know if living there, but definitely spending, I don't know, maybe living there. I don't know. There's a lot of things that draw me to Wollongong. Like right. I love going there. Right. Every time, you know when you go a place and you just feel good? Yeah. And I feel like if you feel good in a place, that's probably where you should be. So, and why? What what draws you there? So this is interesting because I've, I've been on a, I'm on a few like uh, committees and advisory boards and bits and pieces lately mm. to develop the mountain bike trails. Uh, there's a road cycling world championships coming to Wollongong in 2022 trying to figure out what Wollongong is and how to, you know, how to market push it, it yeah. to the world outside of the cycling industry. So, um, yeah, what what made you like it? I think I like the fact that it's, I guess, there's a lot of young people there because obviously it's a bit of a uni town, so it's like my demographic for sure. Um, just like little beach town, like I don't like the full city kind of vibe, but obviously right. it's close enough to Sydney, you catch a train, it's an hour away. Yep. So it's like you've got kind of best of both worlds. You can go into a major city if you want. Um, the riding's really good, more... I guess aimed at trail bike stuff, not so yeah. much. To, that was probably one of the big factors. Is like mm. there's no downhill tracks, and they're only short, and they're only short. Yeah, like I can't. There's what like what do you reckon the longest track in Wollongong would probably be? Well, if you get all enduro fluoro about it, it's mm. you can pump out a 15 minute run. Like I got a run that almost goes to my door from the top. Is that Kira? Mount Kira? It's just left of Kira, just south of Kira. Yeah, uh, Robertson's Lookout, Mount Brisbane. Yeah, that's Fight Club um, proper, but yeah. you got to climb out. That's yeah, like, that's the thing. You know, yeah, bike life. Yeah, if I'm so doing... maybe seven minutes on yeah. a trail bike on downhill bike, you wouldn't you wouldn't do it on downhill bike because you got to mm. be a pretty gnarly push out. Yeah. But yeah, I guess two to f- maybe three minutes. Yeah, that's maybe. still that's still not too bad, but it's just I guess wet, like and then how how rough and like how technical and all those other things yeah. come into play. Because I know there's a lot of tracks there that are pretty flowy jump tracks, which are yeah. fun. But I guess for training properly, it's like just not yeah. quite what. I need, I guess. There's a couple of gnarly downhill tracks, um, more along. Oh, I get into a bit of a secret zone now that that are better, <laughs> yeah, and, and better for riding and good for trail riding. But as a downhill bike, like you can't get in or out or shuttle it, yeah. So it's not not a viable option for for yourself. You know, mm. to race World Cup downhill, and you know, I think a lot of people who haven't seen a World Cup downhill. <laughs> Just a normal downhill <laughs> track <laughs> ain't quite going to cut it. Yeah, well, that's one thing. A lot of people in Australia, like, I think they'll do well at, like, downhill races in Oz, and they'll be yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to go over the World Cups and kill it, and you're just, like, yeah. big eye-opener. Like, I think the AWS is similar. You know, oh, like, sure. yeah. a lot of guys race, uh, like, we just raced here in, in Medina, the um, the Medina Gravity Fest, and that was a pretty wild course. That was probably up there with one of the wildest enduros you can do compared mm. to Whistler or a European one or, you know, anywhere like that, but... You know, you go to these European races or an American race and, and the a lot of the locals or the juniors or the people who think they ride their local trails fast mm. and they're king of Strava in their little hood and on a buffed trail you know, yeah, yeah, of course you're fast. But you come here and even if we had a race here, it was unlimited practice here, but I think even if we had to do one practice run <laughs> and race, 
It would have been just diabolical. Mate, I, they had some I didn't do a practice run. <laughs> it's like you're just preaching to the choir. <laughs> and that's a different uh, aspect. Like it's yeah. a different part of Enduro and a different part of the EWS that separates it. You know, yeah. when that rule came into place in, what was that, 2017 or 2018, I think it changed changed the face of the sport a mm. little bit. And then, uh, you know, it's something you've got to learn. It's not. I can't say it's my strong suit. It's definitely a weak, weakness of mine personally but um you know when you're trying to take it take it on and and uh travel the world to race ews and that happens dude it it takes a lot to figure out how to not let your head fall off yeah. <laughs> and how to race that fast yeah you don't know where you're going yeah and most of the time who knows what's going to be around that corner there could be a massive ghoulie in the track there could be an old lady hanging out there washing a dalmatian <laughs> It could be anything. A dog. <laughs> Boulder. <squirrel. laughs> yeah. Rock. One thing I noticed with, oh, I'll get back to the whole Wollongong thing and the push there, but for, while we're on this. Um, this is going to be a theme. This, this, is, should, this should be called uh, the sidetracked. The sidetracked. We're going to bounce back and forth a lot. Yeah. Um, but while we're on that, I was going to say the biggest thing I've realized from racing this enduro, like I've raced a few other ones, but I guess this was probably the gnarliest one in the sense of the. I didn't know any of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Like I was fresh mm-hmm. start. And then have to learn eight tracks in mm-hmm. two, three days. Yeah. Um, I was riding and I wasn't enjoying it because my brain was so focused on remembering where I was going that oh. I could I wasn't enjoying it. And yeah. I remember I was doing a lap, I think outer limits or something. Yep. Yeah. Halfway down it, I was just like, This sucks. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't like and I was just like, What like why can't I get into this? Because yeah. I was so engaged in like, okay, a left handy here, right handy here, sprint here, yep. pump here, and I was like I just want to ride. Yeah. I don't want. I just want to enjoy this for what it is, not for yeah. what it's going to be tomorrow when I race it. And then it was funny because then when we raced it, I had the best time ever. Like right. I was like, "This is awesome!" Because I wasn't thinking about what I had to do later. I was just in that moment. Mm. But that was the thing that I was like, "Enduro's got I guess so much preparation that I guess that's like you've got to do all that work leading into it and think, have that mindset too. Yeah, of just knowing, being comfortable with being uncomfortable and yeah. comfortable with like not wasting your energy on. All right, it goes left, right, left, right, sprint, double jump, left, right, rocky section. Just do it. How do you find that when you're at just say an EWS and something, and you've got well, to like obviously learn so much? Do you do you have that idea of like it's, it's go time? I got to focus. I got to do that, or do you try and mix that up with fun at the same time? Nah, I don't know. I think I'm like just personally, I like to take it pretty seriously. And once you get there, there's a routine from the Tuesday, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and once practice starts. Um, there's a routine of like doing the tracks and, and even on the course itself when you ride it, unless something hectic pops out at you, then just ride through it and make it happen. If you ride through it and you ride all the main lines and it's smooth and fast and carry on, you know, you've mm. got so much to remember mm. that those little decisions, like there might be, you know, say there's, there's eight stages, like you said, but every stage has six gnarly sections. Like, I don't know how you're gonna remember yeah, it's too much. six yeah. different bits. Like, I guess you yeah. just can't get caught up on those little things, can you? You just gotta no, let them kind of slide as as you go. And you can't stress yourself out. Like if you stress yourself out, that's where a lot of people come undone. Mm. And look at all you've got to remember. You can't remember that much. You've just got to be relaxed with what's coming and and uh, focus on what you can control. Mm. What you can't control, let it just let it happen. It'll figure itself out. And having the uh, it's a conversation we've had in the past of. Um, having that confidence in your ability and like not getting swept up in, Oh, I need to do this or I need to go faster. Or, oh, I, oh, 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 and it just stresses you out. Like yeah. you, you're a paid professional athlete. You're obviously good enough. The weekend before you were just six, 
you know, or you're, you've been on you've been on a World Cup downhill podium, so you obviously have the potential and the talent and the capability and the speed. Everyone is in the same boat. Well, I guess that's the whole thing of just like in, just knowing the process and knowing there's going to be yeah. shit days and there's going to be a shit run or shit. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you find you've kind of worked out that just say just say in a run, for example, just say you've got a ten minute run. It's really if you make a mistake, blocking that out, and then the next thing. Do you reckon that was something you've obviously gotten better at? Absolutely. Doing yeah. If you make a mistake, don't dwell on it. Like just carry on. Mm. I guess that's just a good thing for anything. Well, yeah. (laughs) Like if you blow out a downhill corner, it's the same deal. Downhill's a little bit more stressful. Like, and you, you probably should know where to go, Mm. and you've got all that time to be ready for that three minutes. Whereas, um, like I said before, you have to be real comfortable with being uncomfortable, and you don't know where you're going majority of the time, really. Um, so riding at that race pace, the last couple of years, I think that race pace has stepped up a few years ago. You could ride pretty good and mm. have a solid run and still come down, you know, if you had a mediocre run. You could still come down in the top 20 or somewhere around the top 10. Not bad. If you put down a heater then guaranteed you'd be top five, Yeah, you know, or top three or win that stage. Yeah. Um, now you come <laughs> down and have a heater and you're 15th. Yeah. You're like, what? Yeah, and I almost died like 15 times on that thing. And you know we're close. Yeah, I think that's just with everything. Like the level's just getting to a there. point yeah. where it's just like, okay, you need a... And it's it's a scary thought to think you've got to give it everything and that couldn't even be a top 10. Like, and, you don't, and you don't even know where you're going. Like yeah. you think you had a heater. Mm. Someone else did something quicker and you're talking about fractions of a second that add up like an eight-minute stage and you're 20 seconds... Say you're... Uh, well, let's just say you're 16 seconds behind and that's 20th or 25th or 30th or whatever. That's two seconds a minute on an eight-minute stage. It's nothing. Yeah. Like that's really small amounts. And when pe- I think a lot of people get lost in those big chunks of time. And when you break it down, it's it's only little bits and it's, you know, something as simple as breaking early, calming, calming the farm, looking up ahead, being prepared for the next section, focusing on like your toolkit of tools, not – what you can't control. You can't control the track. You can't control it's going to be blown out. You can't really control where you're going. You can watch as much GoPro as you want, but at the end of the day, the track might change. you you got to figure it out on the fly. Mm. So it's those little bits and pieces that can make a big difference. And someone like Sam is is unreal at that. You know, the lines that he takes, you don't see him take them in practice. He doesn't take them in practice. I think that, yeah. I, I, I think with that as well, I know I've done that with in races where I'm like, I don't know, you're just going a little bit faster, you're yeah. a bit more focused, you're a bit more on it. And I'll do stuff that, like, you asked me, oh, why'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It just was just within that millisecond of time, yeah. I decided to pull for this gap that I'd yeah. never done. And it's happened, like, it's happened more times than I can remember, but, like, I've just been a race run and I'll just pull a gap. Yeah. And someone would be like, oh, as if you did that. And I was like, as if I did do that. I don't even know why totally. I did that. It just kind of, it just felt right at the time. And I guess that's, like, your intuition and, like, you really in tune with where you're at in that run or in that point and you're just like i'll go for it but i guess in enduro that's more or less how you should race it because like you said everything's changing it's unknown you don't like because you never know how you're going to feel in a race run and it's just funny because you talk to people and like oh i can't hang on and all that and they're like Mm -hmm. yeah just wait till you get in your race run yeah well i i think good racers know that they'll they level up when it comes to a a race where like i guess people that aren't good racers stay in that same yeah zone or same i guess level they just they don't they don't or even they go backwards like that's well, even thing. knowing how to switch on and off yeah i think maybe with downhill you've got a you've got a bit of a routine to get ready for that run and a process that will click you into gear and um 
you know, what, what triggers you like, like haven't, like we've talked, we've talked about it before, like having fun with it or how to get in that zone physically, how to get your mental space ready for that three minute run. And you know, where the rocks are, you know, where the jumps are, the roots, blah, blah, blah. I think with a six hour enduro day, if you are that focused all day, you're burning so much energy. Mm. So learning how to switch off on the liaisons and being comfortable with talking to someone just generally, mm. you know, I think early on I was, a, I was definitely one of those dudes that would get to the start line and I didn't want to talk to anyone. And <laughs> like for that next seven hours, I just wanted to focus on what I'm doing. Cause I, I was too worried about someone getting in my head or I've had heaps of stages before where you have three or four stages, come back to the pits first three or four, you're around the top 10, eight, something like that. Come back to the pits. Everyone's kind of blowing smoke up your ass. You're like, yeah, yeah, we're killing it. Yeah. yeah. But then you go back out and you lose that kind of mindset and you're that like, edge, oh, well, yeah. yeah, we're already there. Happy days. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And then you just back off a little bit. You make a few mistakes and all of a sudden you're 20th. Yeah. And it just goes out the ass. But in, and it's only those little fractions of a second that make a difference. That's all you need. Well, it's funny how you said before about like how you could muck up, muck up and then think about it and then mm. you lose time. I was almost the opposite. I would have a really good section and I would think to myself, like, you just nailed that. Right. And then I would start thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Which it's like, even if you're thinking about something good or bad, it's, yeah. you don't want to be thinking about anything. You want to be blank slate next thing. So some of your hottest, some of your best race runs, can you remember them vividly? Or is it just like, I don't remember anything. Not Yeah, when I'm riding on it, like when I'm just in this that zone and I want to try and talk to you more about that because I kind of take that back to like the whole flow state thing. Right. And I've talked about it on this podcast and Gypsy Tales and all that. Like I remember at St. Anne Worlds, like I got fully into that flow state. Right. And it was when I was first at the first split at Worlds and I was just like so in this thing, which it was just like, what is this kind of yeah. thing? Like I wasn't thinking, I was just reacting and yep. I was just in that state. And it was, it, that was it. That was like, that's where I wanted to be. And then I thought about it after I got like a bit, it was like all the tight stuff at the top and then it kind of opened up. And I thought to myself in my head, I was like, wow, what was that? Like, fuck, you're on it. Yeah. And as soon as I thought about that, I just cooked the next section. Yeah. And I was totally. just like, as soon as you can't think about, that's what I mean. It's next, next, next. It's always like, it doesn't, it does you can't think about anything until you cross that line. Totally. And then I guess that's like you going back to the pits in the middle of the enduro and everyone blows smoke and you're like, oh yeah. And you get out of that zone yep. or flow state or whatever and then it becomes like oh what, like, what's happened now and then yeah you, you cha- it all changes i guess that yep. i was going to ask you with that whole thing of like do you find how do you find that you get into that zone and then out of that zone like what do you have like a, a like a thing you kind of do to kind of fall into it or fall out of it yeah i've definitely been the last couple of years been working with a sports psych a lot yep. last few seasons and uh working on that that was a weakness of mine that we identified a few years ago um and i would train that so I would I would have a session a week that I would train and I would t- I would pick a run at home. It's only a one minute run, um, and I'd practice that one minute routine before my race start, and I'd do that ten times. So that session on that day or one of those sessions that day um, was that. So for that first, you know, say it's, so it's a two minute run, two minute interval, for example, and in that minute, I'd draw myself a line on the ground, and that's the race start, and I'd wait, you know, two or three bike lengths back and time minute and come in, you got your goggles off time is going at in one minute time. I'm going to drop in and race and I'm going to go as hard as I can for that minute. That last run only took me 59 seconds to ride that trail. So next time I'm going to do it in 58 or, you know, whatever. And you notice your heart rate comes up and you start to think like, and you visualize that, that process of getting in the, in the gate. Um, so yeah, I would train that. In Just the become last comfortable bit. with and it. Become yeah. comfortable with it. You yeah. put your helmet on, Put your goggles on, full race kit, 
you know, like all the whatever you have to wear to race in Europe. So usually I wear a chest guard, helmet, uh, full face helmet, goggles, and uh, 30 seconds you roll up to the gate, got your goggles. Sometimes I'd run a GoPro for the same thing just to get used to it. 30 seconds, 10 seconds, you're in the gate, you're doing your process, you know, you're shaking your head. What, you, what are you thinking in that, like in that, building up into that, like what's the, like are you thinking about the track? Are you thinking about like how hard you're going to push? Are you breathing? Like what's the process leading into that? My process is just trying to stay calm and just relax, not let my body get too far ahead. Like I might have, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit hard because it's the same run over and over again. So you think like, well, if I just go a little bit to the right in that one corner, then I can get up high on the bank and double through that root section. That might give me a second total by the time I get to the bottom. But what I'm thinking about in racing is just being calm, being in the moment mm. and being mindful of what's around me. So I got a lot into meditation. I was working with Lululemon uh, out of Vancouver a lot and a girl there who was working with me on my mindfulness program and, you know, learning how to do that kind of stuff and, and, uh, be in the moment. Yeah, I think that's a massive thing that people, especially juniors, yep. they get so, I guess, caught up with like, oh, if I do well now, then this will happen and yeah. that will happen. And yeah. they're so the next thing yep. that they lose sight of like, you've got to do you've got to do the thing that's going to put you there in the yeah, first yeah. place. And yeah. like you say, that whole be in the moment. Yeah. Um, I think I've been trying to do the same as that, like the whole idea of gratitude and just being in the moment yep. where you are. Yeah. And when we went up to um, Mount Buller for the Vic race, I just remember being up there about five, 10 minutes before my run, just like ride around, do a normal warm up, yep. And I just stop and I think about the weekend from the start, from like yeah. the Friday afternoon with my buddy, driving up there, getting yep. photos, hanging out, being around good people. Like I hadn't been for racing over a year. So just the process of going through that and just being around all these people and like just everyone's so friendly there and just being in that environment again, I was just like, oh, this has been an awesome weekend. And then from that point, I honestly don't care how the race run goes. I'm yep. like, this next three minutes isn't going to determine the last 48 hours. Yeah. And then in that moment, I've got like this kind of new philosophy where I'm like, this means everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah. And the fact it means everything is like, I want to win. And it's like, obviously my job, and my passion. So I'm going to throw everything at it. I'm going to no stone on no stone unturned. I'm going to put myself in the ground to get the best result. But at the same time, if I don't do well, I get a flat tire or I crash or it doesn't work. Doesn't it mean it, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I was like, it doesn't really change the end result. Yeah. It's just, but I think going into that, that's kind of adds that calmness and like takes that worry out of it yeah. and makes you present. Totally. And it's powerful. Oh, when super- you do practice meditating for the first time, it's overwhelming. Yeah. But once you do like get in that space and you can feel the things around you and it becomes, you become connected with you. It sounds, you know, it definitely sounds a bit, it still sounds a bit funny, but when you feel it, that's the, it feels unreal. Yeah. That's the thing. It all sounds funny until you do it. Until and you do it. And that's the thing. And then it was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I get and you, it and you have to practice it. It's a practice. Yeah. You know, you practice meditating and you mm. practice getting into that state. And like I said, I would, I would practice that routine in that session. So it, it would become second nature. So when I do line up to the start, it doesn't matter whether I'm on Mount Kira at home on, on the Holy Trail that I rode a million times or I'm lined up at the top of the wheel in the Alps of Europe and the Mont Blanc's there. There's a hectic stage in front of you. There's a helicopter flying around. There's... 30 of the fastest dudes in the world, it doesn't matter. It's the same process. You put your helmet on, you line up in that state, you got two riders in front of you, you line back up into the race gate, you're 30 seconds, that rider goes, you roll up, put your goggles on, check your gear, quick sip of water, 10 seconds, couple of breaths, couple of little like, you know, things that I would say in my mind just to like be in the moment and just ready. Five, 
four, three, two, and then go. One. Yeah. Yeah, just make it happen. <laughs> it's good when you get in that moment, though, because I know, like, when I was at Buller and I got into that, and I remember it was like five seconds ago before I dropped in for my run. And I just remember looking out at, like, all these, like, obviously you're at the top of a mountain, you look out, and I just had this, ma- like, just smile on my face. Yeah. And I was like, I get to go do the thing I'm the best at in the world, like, not per- like not in the world, but for me, like, yeah. the best thing I'm good at. And I get to do it in front of heaps of people that love and admire me. And I'm like, like, what's the, what's a better thing for me? And then like, and and it's one of the only things like I've only been in the flow state from doing that. Right. And sometimes talking, sometimes if I get on like, you know, when you get really into something and you kind of lose sight of not what you're saying, but like it just it just comes out of somewhere, and you just you can feel it. You can feel that coming, the the energy and the excitement. Yeah, it's contagious. So just literally talking and writing is the two things that put me in that state. Yeah. So to know like I'm about to go into something that can put me there, and then when you are in it, you're just like. Oh shit! It's like it's oh it's 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 funny how I've got a thing now where as well where people talk about like the flow state to achieve a goal, right. but I almost look at the flow state. Flow state is like the goal. Yeah, like yeah. that feeling you get is like pretty like you can't really describe anything yeah. else that's like that. So mm-hmm. it's like it's funny how it's like you get in the flow state to win the race. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's better, the flow state or the win? Yeah, and it's like I think the flow state's the kind of the flow state's the money maker. Yeah, because sure. I'm yeah. like, and the same thing when I crashed at Worlds and like everyone was bummed and I was like pump still because i'm like i got what i wanted to get like yeah. it didn't work out but for that small amount of time and i think i love trying to get that across to people that it's like if you can find that state in whatever it is you do because yeah. like people can find it doing anything like yeah. playing guitar like painting anything yeah. it's like if you can find that state like that's almost the goal in the end like that if you can get into that state like what's better than that really if you sure. can do something that you truly like love and are passionate about and then you can block out everything else like yeah. the other day i was in um derby and I was just like just doing a few like just hard sprints and stuff, doing like full runs and, try- and trying to just keep that focus. Yeah. And I was getting right into it and I was like, this like just is sick. And I kept going and I was pedaling up and I was just like pushing. And I was like, oh God, I'm thirsty. And I was like, I haven't drank water in so long. And I was like, that's where you need to get to. You yeah, need to be yeah. pushing yourself that hard and be that focused that you forget. Like, cause I, um, there's a guy called Eric Thompson. He's like a real motivational speaker. Yeah. And he talks about like you've got to be that engaged in something that you forget to eat and you forget to sleep and you're just so in it. And I thought that was like kind of similar to that. It's like I forgot to drink water because yeah. I and I was just like I was I was wrecked. <laughs> I was done, but I was so engaged in like, yeah. okay, this is what I want to do that I was just like, that's where you need to be. Like that if you want to achieve something, you've got to forget all the other stuff. Yeah. Even like something as crucial as drinking water when you're absolutely <laughs> yeah. spent. So I thought that was a cool thing to like I don't know, realize that. But there's a cool book out there called The Mindful Athlete from George Mumford. And he talks True. about that. He was uh, he worked with the Chicago Bulls through their heyday. Yeah, true. and it's about working with the Bulls and their camaraderie, camaraderie and uh, everything they had going on. And and uh, just recently that that Netflix doco series come out about Michael Jordan, and it's through all that heyday. And um, you know, when already knowing about this book and then seeing that series, and you can see it. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I've, if you see it, uh, it's worth a read for sure. I've heard a lot of people that get into like interview top people in any discipline whether it be music sports anything business the common thing between all of it is like mindfulness yeah. and like self-awareness and all yeah. that's like at the top like with everyone so it's yeah. like if you can work that out and then like sort that out and then the rest will not fall into place but it's going to make it all a lot simpler yeah, to work out story but then like you said everyone's just like oh it's all hocus pocus and like until you try it and then you're like oh yeah it's like the, the lights come on you're like okay i see it now and then you've, you'll hear a podcast. I remember hearing a podcast coming back from Mount Buller with, uh, I think it was a Gypsy podcast with Robbie Madison. Yeah. Talking about his uh, meditation and, and how he gets 
in the in the zone to do what he does, which is a whole nother level. Mm. Like the that's stuff life that, or death. Absolutely. Like some of the stuff that that he does is whatever it takes to like get in that state and to the nth degree. Mm. <laughs> you know, when you jump in whatever it is, two hundred meters over a canyon, whatever yeah. it is, over a canyon <laughs> that there is no beeline. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know that was before. I think that was before I was practicing my own mindfulness and meditation and. Uh, you know, you hear random stories about that. Then you hear the the Michael Jack, um, Michael Jackson. He probably meditated, maybe. <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan, um, all those guys, and the vibe that they had, and and then you watch that series, and um, yeah, it's pretty interesting, and it's really powerful. No, it's su- super powerful. We use music a lot when I was working with Chrissy from Lululemon to like help get in that state, and we had certain playlists that uh, you know would feed off that energy when you were stretching in the morning or getting dressed and use that to try and trigger and activate that state as well. I think that's all part of understanding yourself and what your triggers are. Yeah. Cause totally. that's the thing. It's all, like you said, it's all a practice, but it's not just a practice of like, don't just sit there and just be like, think about your thoughts or something. Cause that might not work for you. Yeah. And but it's not, it's not black and white. Everyone's no. different. You know, it might just be your, your coffee of a morning. Like you just don't, maybe don't look at your phone and look outside and appreciate, you know, I mean, we're down here in Medina at the moment. It's pretty easy to appreciate yeah, it's like, dude, I was just driving back from New Norfolk last night just on sunset and uh, the clouds were rolling in. It was all green and you just, uh, it was just a really nice moment. Mm. Turn the radio off and look at what you, you drive. It's probably a bit dangerous <laughs> <laughs> considering the roads around here, around here in Tassie. But, you know, you look at where you are and you, same deal. You just have that, that moment where... Uh, you just take a second to... You're current and you're present. Being that, yeah. Present in that time and it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. It's funny as well when you see those moments and then I guess we're so drawn now to like capture it on a phone. Yeah. Like, and I saw when we're at, um, I was at Mona yesterday in Hobart. Anyway, we're in there and as we're in there, this like just a live band with like just like uh, saxophones and like clarinets and just, just yeah. we're walking through just making all this noise. And I kind of like looked over on a balcony, you could look down and see it. I looked down and when I started watching it, um, they were kind of just walking through as like just a marching band. Yeah. Anyway, as I looked down, I saw this lady and she was down there watching and then I just watched kind of her because she was kind of in the, my provisional, I can't even say it. Peripheral. 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 Anyway, I just saw her down there anyway. It's your podcast, mate. Say what you want. Say whatever. Anyway, she saw them coming and then they were kind of in a tighter room, but they came through and she was like trying to get a phone out to record it. And by the time she got her phone out and went to record it, they were already gone. Yeah. And I was like, you just missed that whole yeah. thing. Like, And even if you did get your phone out and record it, you still missed it. Yeah. Like you captured it on your phone, but you weren't in that yeah. moment. Like if you went to show someone, oh, look at this. I'm like, were you there for that? Yeah. And I was talking to someone the other day and this is like, you're taking the experience of that moment out and giving it to others. But in doing that, you lose it completely. Yeah. You don't, you're not in that moment. Yeah. You're just, you're just documenting that moment for someone else. Yeah. And then they don't truly get the moment either. So it's like almost a wasted moment in the fact that like you don't, you get a bit of it and they get a bit of it. Yeah. No one truly gets all of it unless you're present completely. (laughs) That's an interesting thing. Talking about the EWS practice and, and uh, when you mentioned before, like you're too busy trying to remember, did you do much GoPro? I did a little bit, but I didn't really even watch it back. Like I was just like, I don't know. I just, I, just, I did, it was just too invested in like, yeah. I just, I'm like, I, I, I did the enduro for fun yeah, and then it stopped being fun. And I'm like, right. well, 
I don't want to. <laughs> I, I do, I'm doing this to have fun. If I'm not having fun, I don't want to do it, kind of thing. And, and that's honestly that's with everything I do. It's like yeah. with the downhill. It's like as soon as that stops being fun for me, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, like even yeah. if I'm still doing well, if I don't enjoy it, yeah. I think that's with anything in life. Like people do all this stuff and they lose the love for it and they keep doing it. I'm like, stop. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're making money. Doesn't matter all these other shit. If you don't enjoy it, yeah. if that's not the bedrock of why you're doing something. Yeah. Unless um, there's things that are tough, but like if they're tough towards the goal that you want, but if the goal is still like, eh, whatever, yeah. do something else. Yeah, do something else. Yeah. Well, that that whole scenario, that wasn't where I was going with that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, when you when you practice a stage with or without a GoPro, without a GoPro, you, got, you get a bit lazy. You just do it. You're looking for it. And you're like, ah, oh, I'll look at that on the GoPro later because you can go back and watch it, but you don't actually remember the stage. Yeah. You know, and you're watching the GoPro so much that uh, – you're not in the moment of the stage. So here this weekend, um, on the first day of practice, like my go for some reason, it just, the battery didn't gel. It didn't work, whatever. So I didn't have any GoPro for a majority of the stages. I only had a GoPro run of, uh, stage eight, I think. And, uh, stage five out of the eight stages. Yeah. And all the rest I just rode. So I did one or two laps and everything. And my focus was way different. So I, was, I was in the stage and trying to feel it. And then during knowing that I didn't have that GoPro footage, I could kind of like, I did visualize the night before the race, like try to picture like some of the lines and like figure out what they look like and how they rode. And um, they were probably some of my, my better stages of, of the weekend, even five and eight. Like I, I would, di- I GoPro those, those runs, but I didn't actually, I didn't actually watch them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and then five and eight, I think were some of my better stages of, of the weekend. Um, so when you're, when you're in that moment and, and like you're invested in that present time, it can make a big difference to, if you just go pro and then watch it later, then you, you weren't actually in the course, but you're not actually paying attention to it. So there's a, there's a big difference there of, you know, being in that moment and seeing them walk past, like you're watching the, you're watching the band and you'll yeah. remember that later. Yeah. Well, um, I, got, I watched, I saw that whole moment play out and I was just like, cause I guess, I, I guess I like watched it as well because i think like i had the reaction in my head get your phone out this is something cool yeah but it's so funny when it's like as soon as you see something cool our instinct now is to share that with everyone else totally. it's almost just like it. yeah it's almost just like look what i'm doing yeah i'm doing something cooler than you yeah and i actually i forgot about this but i had a really cool moment i went for a um just a ride just an e-bike ride back home in bright and same thing happened i was riding along anyway there was like a little um baby brown snake on the road like just directly where i was going to ride i was like just missed him anyway got off and i was looking at him and he was like it's just quite cool looking snake and i was like i went to get my phone out to record it and i was just like why yeah. like why and i was just like no yeah. i'm just and i was like i was like i wanted to get him off the road so no one else ran him over yeah. so i was just like um tapped his tail and he kind of like reared up at me and then kind yeah. of scooched scooched yeah. along <laughs> but anyway when i was like watching it i just kind of had this moment and thought about it. i was like I could kill that snake so easily yeah. and he could also kill me so easily. Yep. Like he, like I think baby snakes, they, they don't have, I don't, they don't they have more control. Yeah. Venom. They can't control yeah. their venom. So they'll just shoot it all into you. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, I obviously like a, a brown snake can kill you quite yeah, easily. Yeah. So I'm just like, it was just this moment when I had like this clarity of like, we both have the power to kill each other like that, like so, yeah. so easily. But if one just doesn't, be aggressive and just kind of like helps the other one just high fives and walks away yeah just goes but i was like i had that thought in that moment where if just say i stopped and just go hey baby snake and filmed it on my phone and go and then just put out there on the internet yeah what is that yeah like it's nothing i wouldn't have learned anything from that i wouldn't have gained anything from that i just would have 
And then people probably replied, oh, sweet, cool snake. I'm like, yeah, it is a cool snake. Oh, brown snake, kill yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And like, just, I would have said that. Yeah. I said burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> not a snake person? Uh, not really. Uh, it, would you Would you hold one? Uh, no. See? Uh, I would. I would hold one. Would, would you? Hold. I think what... If you, what if you, do you know anything about my fear yeah, of phobia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, we, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think about this all the time, especially when I run over snakes up the bush. I rent... I, had a massive crash actually the the week before we came down here for Enduro Nationals 2019, probably before COVID happened in yeah. a, what seems like a dramatically different lifestyle. <laughs> Just 18 months ago, um, there was a big diamond uh, diamond crown python across the, one of the trails at home, really fast trail, and. Uh, you know, another scenario, it happened like just in the blink of an eye, but it felt like a few seconds to me and coming flying down the track. I'm like, oh, someone lost a tube. That's a very straight tube. Oh, no, it's a water pipe. It's real shiny. There's no water pipes up here. Oh, <laughs> fuck, it's a snake. And then I couldn't see if it was his head or its tail across the track, so I jumped the thing. No worries. But I jumped into a tree because the track turned to the right. Oh. Hit the tree, tomahawked, brrrr. Yeah, I cartwheel down the trail, dislocated my shoulder, Got back up. The bike was spinning. The snake was all reared up. And all I could see was a fist-sized, whitey brown head looking back at me like he was on top of the trail and I was down the trail. And he was grumpy. Of course he was grumpy. Just had an e-bike run him over. And it was an e-bike with handguards. It was so offended. <laughs> Couldn't have been uh, hit by anything more uh, offensive. Otherwise, he just would have run off. He would have been oh, out of here. He's like, it was a normal nah. bike. He's just like, ah, oh, sorry, bro. Nah, yeah. no, shit, shit happens. Oh, bloody e-bike. I'm going to eat you now. <laughs> so he was, your handguards. He was real grumpy. Yeah, lucky I had my handguns to fight him off. Anyway, so I rolled off, got the shoulder back in eventually and made my way down the hill. And um, he was totally harmless. Like, they're, well, they're not harmless. Like, they, if they bit you, they'd kill you eventually. But, like... Had, are they poisonous? Yeah, a little bit, but not... not. <laughs> How do you be a little bit poisonous? Well, I think, like, <laughs> you know, if you were to get bitten and just hang out, like, you've bitten a lot, I think those ones have I, enough venom. I didn't think they. I didn't think the carpet pythons had venom. I'm definitely not qualified in snake venom, but I know brown snakes are bad, black snakes are annoying, and same with reds. But there's something about reds... Tigers are really pissed off. And they're just gonna, yeah, they're just grumpy. They're going to wreck your day. Yeah, they just don't like it. But reds and blacks, there's something about... If there's a black, there's no reds, and if there's reds, there's no blacks. Blacks are still poisonous, but they're not as aggressive. Yeah. And they're bigger and they eat the, the browns. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, Wollongong, we, we got all of them. Yeah. They're all there. Plus yeah. this other one. So I think there's two of this one. <laughs> plus the one that hates e-bikes. Yeah. This one hates e-bikes. He looks like an e-bike. He's all green and grumpy. <laughs> anyway, the next day, my buddy saw him wrapped around a tree and he was like, man, massive. Like he was bigger than your forearm and real grumpy and close to four meters and long. And that's not, not just a fishing story. Yeah. There's actually footage of him draped over a guardrail. Oh, so he's, like he's a local? Yeah, he's a local. There's yeah. two of them. There's one at Mount Kembla and there's one um, there's one at Mount Kembla that kind of comes around to Mount Kira. That's his kind of zone. Yeah. And there's another one over at, uh, like on the front side of the escarpment towards Broker's Nose, Tarawana area. I'm talking names to an audience that probably has nothing. <laughs> Doesn't know. No idea what I'm talking about. Search that anyway, up. Go visit the snake. You'll figure it out. Don't Name's Craig. Yeah. <laughs> Rumor was the one in K- uh, Kembla was a pet. Oh, really? Got that escaped. Oh, okay. And it was only short. He was in a, he was in a um, what does what a snake live in? A, a, a tank. Tank, yeah, I guess. Tank, yeah. no water. Sanctuary. Yeah. Um, lived in there, got out, grew massive because he lived off the land and yep. now he's a monster. The other one over at Tarawana is a baby one that's only two meters long or something at the moment. Same deal. Yeah. Probably friends, cousins. They all know each other. Like I'd ever done it. Okay, so now I think... Still hates (laughs) e-bikes. 
Yeah, we've done the full loop, I think, because now we've got back to Wollongong at least. Yeah, we're back to Wollongong. Yeah, Josh Carlson here on the, on the Fresh <laughs> Podcast. Yeah, on the, the Silly I can't wait till we just dive off into something else again. But I wanted to ask you, because I saw um, Wollongong became a UCI mountain bike city, yep, yep. which... Uh, UCI Bike City. Bike City, which as soon as I saw that, I commented and I was like, does that mean I'm having a, a World Cup there? Which I feel like you can't be UCI Bike City if this doesn't at least have some side of like UCI event. Because like, you said the road cycling is going to go there. Yep, road cycling. Is that just there. like the doorway to like maybe Pretty some, much. Maybe some yeah. downhill or like some enduro, anything? Just yeah, something? I think it's all in the works. And I think, um, you know, it's been go- it's a long process and the guys have been doing a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, unfortunately, I kind of wish we could... Not myself, like I, I, I can't take credit for any of the hard work because I'm kind of just the media mule that rolls out and just the stoke farmer that comes out and tells everyone it's all good and yee-haw and woo, we're going to ride sick trails. Yeah. But the guys who are doing the work on the back end is uh, doing some real hard yards and stuff that the public will, will never never know about. And um, the UCI bike city status is a massive opportunity for Australia, for Wollongong in particular, for New South Wales. Um, and it's got some massive flow-on effects into the future. Mm. Um, when people search for cycling destinations, it brings up Wollongong as one. So yeah. the infrastructure around the city will change. Um, it'll be known as a bicycling, uh, cycling city. Um, it gives us great leverage to legalize some mountain bike tracks in our area and opportunities to bring the UCI uh, World Championships, maybe like they're doing in Glasgow and Scotland in 2023. Three, I think it is when they bring in all the cycling disciplines together for one massive road, um, world cycling championships yep. of downhill, cross country, road cycling, all of it in one big venue. Where's that? Sorry. The- I think it's in Glasgow in Scotland in 2023. Yeah. Um, and it's got all of them. Just everyone's there. Everyone's there. Yeah. On the same course. I think that'd be cool. That'd be <laughs> <laughs> velodrome. <Yeah. laughs> Suck it up. Velodrome. Suck it up guys. <laughs> No, that'd be cool. That just yeah, it's just something different, something yeah. something different for sure. And I think like Wollongong, it's like it's perfect. It's not far from Sydney. Mm-hmm. They've got the infrastructure there. But yeah. like you said, there's like one thing I've saw is like there's so many good tracks. I'm not sure, how, but then I'm not sure how many are legal. And yeah. it seems there's a bit, one, and one it's legal. so. I feel like it's a bit of a rabbit warren in the sense yeah. that like you can't find things very no. easily. It's not signposted. And I think that's one thing we're pushing so hard just to get one legal zone and to, yeah. you know, there was a bit there that we're all pretty shy to um to go this hard. Because a lot of people were nervous that we were going to lose it because it wasn't all legal and it's all on national parks or private property or mine land or waterboard land. I don't think it's much on waterboard land, but anyway, that if we lifted the lid on this mega little network that we had, there was a chance it could go away mm. and everyone, it could get shut down. It never really gets shut down. People just, nah, when you got that many, when you get that many little kids with shovels, it's like, it's almost one of those things like, you're not going to stop it. Nah. It's like, you're trying to, you're trying to, patch a hole totally. that's just people are going to keep drilling them. Yeah. It's just like, and it's with mountain biking now, surely, surely they've got to see the amount of value. Well, in, now it has. Yeah. Oh, cause I look at, and then I want to touch on like, you look at what Tasmania is doing Dude. and it's just Boom. like, they, they get it. Yeah. They've seen the light and yeah. they're just like, all systems go. Yeah. Because like I went to Derby and it's lucrative. Like it's oh, worth millions of dollars. Look I what wa- it's done for Medina or, or Derby. I want to see the money coming yeah. in with, from from just cycling, if you could somehow... Well, I think there was a... This was a trivia question, so it might, might have been just a couple of furfies, but um, <laughs> I think there was a stat from the last time we were at Derby that it was something like $30 million was brought, was being brought, brought into in. the economy of Derby or that oh, kind e- of easily see that. area yeah, easy from mountain it. biking. Like, that's real money. And there's been stats that have been brought up about Wollongong too, like 
there's uh, a direct influence of 20 to like tens of millions of dollars for mm. people to come here. So it's not just, um, you know, us riding bikes or kids building jumps or, or whatever. Like it's, it's a real oh, it's a industry. massive industry. It's and huge. And it's, it's not, growing. Uh, and it's growing. Like it's had a huge COVID boom for cycling in general. Like yeah. it's had a massive COVID boom. There's a reason why you can't buy a bike anywhere because they're all sold out. Yeah. Um, and trying to latch on to those people, those new people in our sport, um, that's what a lot of well, these towns they, need they've, to do. they've got to keep them in it. And the thing is, they're going to keep people in it by giving them something to use. Like, they've brought a tool. Mm-hmm. Now they want to use that tool. Yeah. But if they've got nowhere to use it, they're yeah. just going to sell it and then fall out of it again. It's like, you've got this opportunity now to, like, really keep people invested. Yeah. And that's something that I've, like, like Derby, Medina, like, Tassie's doing it. Yep. And I feel like we're on the, we're not quite there yet. Like, yeah. I didn't really, like, you know, you don't realize not how bad something is, but, like, how good something could be until, potential. until you see it. Yeah. And, like, I'm in Bright at the moment, and it's Bright's, like, it's it's good still. But yeah. then I went to Derby, and I was like, oh, yeah. oh, it could be better. Yeah, like, it yeah. could be so much better. Like, totally. I went to Derby two years ago, and the amount of, like, house new houses that are built, apartments, yep. bike shops, even the, the shuttle system, everything yep. about Derby trail networks everything just works so well and now derby's feeding into st helens there's yep. a big network there of a real town and people and jobs and it's yeah, huge it's, cool, man. it's huge especially and, and it's kind of like it's it is wild to see tasmania booming like that because it's it's not that easy to get here like it's a trip mm. you either got to drive down catch the ferry catch a flight hire cars it's a, it's an expensive trip to make happen that people are flocking to yeah um and wollongong so much easier. So much easier. <laughs> so much easier. But anywhere on the mainland, like that's the thing. Yeah. It's just like I look at Bright and I'm just like, like I look at, okay, imagine if, and this is not to like talk shit on Threadbow or anything because I still like going there, but they, and I know they've got their struggles with um, what is it, what is it, just National Park and whatnot. But if you put Derby, just like put those exact tracks at Threadbow, it would become Whistler. But in, I, in, I wonder if, if it is the journey that brings people there. I think I think it's trails as well. Yeah. I think it's just what's there. Like they've got such a diverse network of trails and stuff. Yep. Like that's the thing. It's like bring like I rode Air You Going at Derby and I realized why I love mountain biking again. Right. Like in that day I was just like and and, th- and then money seemed to not be like I was buying shuttle I just didn't care. <laughs> yeah. If you said it was a hundred dollars for one shuttle up to ride sure. that track again, done. Do Easy. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing, it brings you there. And I know yeah. I guess because oh, that's what Buck charges, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Oh, but, um, <laughs> but just looking at places like even, I get pretty wound up about this, but like Falls Creek, for example, yeah. like if they run one lift and put in a few flow trails and stuff, like the amount of people, like it's, they're like, they're craving something like that. And like right. Threadbow has done a good job and they're, yeah. they're going in the right direction for sure. So I'm like, I'm not shitting on them at all, but I still feel like there's so much more that could be done. Like there's yeah. so much more of a push that could be done. And like, like look at Mount Buller, like they don't run lifts at all and that's like so close to Melbourne and that's such like that should be a like that should be booming. That should yeah. be bigger than Threadbow just yeah. for the fact that it's so close to Melbourne and they've got everything that Threadbow has anyway. Yep. So I'm like, you're closer to a major city and you've got all the trail networks, everything. I'm just like, why aren't you doing yeah. it? Like you could make so much money, but I think I'm really hoping Well Whistler was the same. Whistler Whistler's had an awesome network for years, years and years and years. But it, it hasn't been fully invested like it is now. Like now they're, they're running, you know, they they almost make more money in the summer. I think they, they I think do. They do. I think they, I don't Less know. If, infrastructure. I don't think as much money goes through them. I think this is how I heard it was just a, but then it's no overheads. There's right. no snow making. There's yeah. no like half the lifts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah half the, yeah. Lots. yeah. So it's like more money 
comes through in winter, but then there's way less overhead. So yeah. they actually make more profit in yeah, summer so there's now. there's heaps of people there. Yeah. And it's a ski resort, and we have ski resorts that our usually our winters aren't awesome. <laughs> well, no. they are, but like... <laughs> Not last winter, that was, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're a lot more of a desert than a, win- than a yeah. winter country. <laughs> but I'll just look at that. I'm like, you could make money all year round. Yeah. And easier. Yep. And that's the thing. And like I, like I look at... Um, how many people actually go up there and use the blue dirt? The mm-hmm. blue dirt's a cool thing, how they've got that running. Yep. But it's just like how many people come there and hop on a shuttle and, and I'm like, people, I like, I'd go play, I'd go to Threadbow just so I can ride the chairlift. Yeah. Like, honestly, I just go yeah. there because I'm like, it's just easy, it's simple, I can just yeah. do as many runs as I want. It's just nice sitting on a chairlift. And it's a massive mountain. It's, it's a huge, huge mountain. Yeah, good yeah. for training. Like massive. that. So I'm like, if you just, <laughs> just put, just put a chairlift somewhere <laughs> and pe- people will come to it. Yeah, but I'm just I'm waiting into waiting for the time when like how long until like somewhere like Medina or something just because we're just gonna put a chairlift in just for mountain biking. Yeah, maybe like, we don't need cool. we don't need snow. Yeah, if like if mountain biking becomes that just common yeah. everywhere, it's just like well, this is just gonna run all year round. Yeah, we just can make money all year round. Let's yeah. just go put a little ca- there's already a cafe up the top. There's already a cafe up there. Yeah, just make it a destination. Yeah, but I think Tassie, what, Tassie man, oh. what a spot. And I think because what I've heard, and I'm not 100% sure on this, but because they're aiming to, and I've talked to um, Simon French as well because I want to f- find out if this is true or not, but that oh, probably is true. Cause we'll start the rumour now. We'll start the rumour now, but they're pushing for an EWS here next year. I'm pretty sure they're looking at doing one in New Zealand and then one in Derby and then one here in wow. like a block. That'd be cool. And I just look at that and I was just like, and like you said, this is probably the closest thing you can get to like a probably yeah. European, yeah. Canadian kind of enduro. And I was yeah. just like, imagine what that's going to then bring in and the exposure and the hype and everything. It's yeah. just like. Phew. Yeah. And the money. Like there's heat that, that's, uh, that brings a lot of people from Europe over here and it makes it worthwhile because you're coming out to Australia to Tasmania for two weeks or like, you know, say you do a Thursday race and then a Sunday race or whatever. Like you're still coming into town, booking out all the houses, um, a lot of money from every team to come mm. over here and it makes it totally worth the trip. Mm. You know, who like well, a lot of our, a lot of our, I'm sure your buddies and my buddies from overseas have been messaging me this week saying how sick it looks and how cool the racing is. And like they're over there in the middle of winter freezing. Like yeah. it's just stopped snowing in Vancouver and, and Vancouver Island. And, uh, over here, like it was wet last week and it's pretty bloody cold, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's not snowing and the <laughs> yeah. dirt's unreal. And we lucked out with the weather on Sunday and, um, it's just hero dirt. Yeah. Like it's the it's prime time, you know, to ride here right now when a lot of the guys in the northern hemisphere are under snow and not riding too much. So they'd love to come out here in, in March. And you think if they came out here and raced as well and then saw what we had that mm. they might just be like, All right, I don't want to spend another winter in Europe while it's snowing. I'll just come to Tassie. Come to like Tassie. Yeah. yeah. Like why not? It's just as cold. <laughs> <laughs> But then, and they also, and like most of those guys that come, like they're going to obviously put exposure out there that then their friends are going to come. Yeah. Or it's going to be at least a talking point that gets pushed out and totally. it's, it's in their minds. Yeah. And come out here for two weeks and train in the middle of summer when they're locked in and, and covered in snow. Why not? Like you could do a great little uh, training camp, like a proper training camp down here for two mm. weeks that um, a lot of the guys go to Europe and do mid season. And uh, for us, like we would come down here and. Um, I think a lot of us have been talking about it like, man, we should come down here more to prepare yeah. for the season and the preparation of here in particular because it's got so steep and long. Well, even Derby too. Like Derby's tracks are just as hard. They're just different. Yeah. It's a different Yeah, it's vibe. a different thing, yeah. But you could do a week here, a week there, and it's it'll get you ready to race. I was, how do you go with your team? Because I know like obviously Europe's all the factories there, all the stuff's there. I know it's harder to ship stuff over here, but it just kind of blows my mind when – 
we've got to go to Europe for a team camp and the, you, you're literally searching for warmth mm. and then you're searching for trails that are long enough to ride where I'm like, we have all of that here. Yeah. We have good weather. We have a few of the team members that live quite close. Like, yeah. why don't you guys come to us? But they're, it's like, no, no, that's too far. Well, it's very expensive. I know. Like, they're I feel like one of us over there as opposed to 15 of them. Yeah. I feel like there's a way to do it though. Where it would be. But if, if you could, if you, I guess if you could put a team camp in with an event, yep. then you could easily just do like yep. a week anywhere in Australia or Tasmania and then yeah. do the two events on top of that, that yeah. could work. Because most of the time when we've done team camps, it's like two weeks before a World Cup anyway. Right. So I'm like, you're already there, you're already doing it. But I just, I don't know, probably a little bit biased that I just want to hang out in Australia, yeah, Australia more. But it just seems like it's such an untapped resource that yeah. we have here that no one, and I guess all the Europeans have probably come to Canberra for Worlds or then Cairns, which then they might be like, oh, well, there's not that much right like there's not much to do yeah. yeah yeah but it's like you come somewhere like here where it's like no we've this, yeah. this state is literally becoming a mountain bike state well to bring her back to wollongong <laughs> <laughs> the uh the idea of the world's best coming to wollongong like i've been talking to a bunch of my uh, bosses at giant and seeing like you know road world is coming to town do you guys want to come to wollongong to watch and the idea of um bringing those guys to my hometown is sick mm. like they get to see like where i grew up where i where I train, where I live, where I got married, where my kids are, where like the, my house. That's an opportunity that, you know, the general manager of Giants would never see, yeah. you know. So to come for a big event, like you said, and and check that out is pretty cool. And and maybe that'll help later. You'd be like, well, Wollongong was pretty sick. Maybe yeah. we can come there. For That's a, the thing. It's just a, a, new, it's a new place as well. It's a new place. You know, you go to a new place and you, you don't know unless you go. Yeah. You know, everyone's heard about how cool Derby is, but you don't, get that vibe unless you go there. Yeah, unless you're there. Same deal with Medina. Like everyone hears how sick it is, but once you're here and you get that perfect dirt and you have that brownie from the cafe, it's like, it's red hot, man. Everything happens. <laughs> it's funny with like it, at Wollongong as well. It's like you could have something literally, it finishes in the town. Like you're yeah. in, you, you pretty much have finished almost close to the CBD pretty yeah. much. I'm like the amount of hype you could build even outside the mountain biking community of just like there's a world champs or world cup yeah. here. People are just going to come watch because it's on oh, their doorstep. For sure. And it, it's... The road cycling race in particular, whether whether you're a roadie or interested in cycling, interested in cycling or not, like it's one of the biggest events in the world. Like it's humongous. Yeah. The audience, the reach, the people, the sights, the views, like the spectacle, the race, it's massive. It goes on for weeks. And the fact that that's coming to Wollongong is mind blowing. Mm. You know, like that's, it, there's a bunch of hype around it and, you know, dramatic comments and bits and pieces, but it literally is a, an Olympic-sized event. Mm. You know, it's it's massive. And I feel like after twenty twenty, you should take advantage oh, of, of events like that. Yeah, dude. Like that's yeah. like some people ask me, like, "Oh, why'd you do the enduro before the race?" I'm like, "Because I could." Yeah, like, and, we're, and we're all frothing to race. Like we've yeah. all been parked up for twelve months, dealing with a bunch of stress, and and you know, it's. I think a lot of people probably will never realize the stress that we were under fighting for our contracts and COVID. Mm. And you realize as a professional athlete, you're definitely, definitely a luxury item. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we yeah. don't make the world go round. Yeah. <laughs> like we do sell bikes, but to a certain extent, people still want to buy bikes without us riding yeah, them. Yeah, totally. We yeah. didn't race at all and they stole a shit ton of yeah. bikes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, uh, to have an opportunity to go and race, um, you want to race because you love it. Yeah. And I guess we've had that much time to figure out what we are doing. And if you didn't love it, then last year it was your perfect out. If you yeah. didn't love it, you didn't want to race, you had enough of the scene, you had enough of the stress, you had enough of the, the work and all the effort that we put in, you know, you had a perfect opportunity to just peace out last year and 
they were hard feelings. I think it, it goes... Vice versa. Yeah, yeah. It made you realise what you want and how much you enjoy racing, how much you enjoy those vibes, how much you enjoy that 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 feeling in that moment and that mindfulness like we were talking about, the routine, the race, the speed, the scaring, like you you love it. That yeah. adrenaline spike, that little bit of terror when that little bit of wee comes out, it's it's pretty red hot. And then enduro, you get that all the time. Yeah. All no, I was going to say it's yeah, two two heads of the same coin. Like it's yeah, which way it's w- a lot of wee. Yeah. <laughs> which way it could have gone. Um also wanted to touch on cuz you just mentioned the um how many e-bikes sold. What was like the change because obviously you're racing the e-bike category now and like what was the biggest change for you? going to the e-bike class in, I guess, like preparation, training. Oh, man. Every, like right. everything minds. Like what was – were you just like, okay, this, it's like pretty much the same thing or were you like, no, we've got to re-engineer this in a certain no, sense? We, we had to re-engineer it for sure. It was definitely different. A lot more different than I expected. Like this happened um, the end of 2019. I made the transition and um, it, it was a huge learning curve. From what I expected and my original, you know, expectations or w- what I thought was going to happen um, – dramatically changed and it's been a learning process to this day like i'm constantly learning even the race on the weekend like the first stage that we had on saturday afternoon taught me a lot like you know after the whole summer of training for this year's race season and that first race stage um until you drop in and do a proper race and i was like oh wow okay that's uh that was really hard (laughs) and it's different And, and because i've been riding them so long now you know the bikes are different but um you lose perspective of that because it's just a normal bike to me now. So yeah. you, you don't realize that it's 10 kilos heavier or it's got all this extra inertia and the climbing, the fitness aspect, the pedaling. Because you don't ride your normal bike at, at, all. at all anymore, yeah. No, last time I rode my normal bike was um, Trophy of Nations in Italy in 2019 with Sam and Connor yeah. and then Cannonball Festival after that. And it's still got the same dust on it from... <laughs> And do you feel, that flow race. Do you feel like it's just too much of it? You just got to learn one back to the other when you when you swap over. It's just, it's just too different. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's fun and it's there, um, but I'm fully committed to learning how to ride this and race this e bike and and it's uh, the way it rides, the way it handles, the way it pedals, the way you descend on it. Doing a three thousand meter day in four hours is pretty hard. Yeah, um, it's a lot of weight, a lot more weight. Like that's I think people don't understand. Like, yeah, you've got a motor going up, mm. but you've also that weights with you going down. And it's fun. It's super fun. And now, like the idea of riding my normal bike for three hours and doing three descents, I was like, ah, well, that's a bit of a slog. Uh, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go and do that uh, six or seven descents. And yeah, go and change your battery and like do forty k's in two hours. It's <laughs> kind of funny because I like almost save my e bike for the days where I'm not feeling it. Right. Like I'll just ride my normal bike. Ride my normal bike. Um, and then I'll just get to a day where it's either a bit rainy or just, I'm just a bit knackered and I was like, all right, let's get the e-bike out. Yeah, and then yeah. it will just lift me up. Yeah. It'll kind of pull me out of that like funk almost yeah. because I'll be like, and I, and then it's so funny because I'll start riding and I'll just get after it anyway. Right. Like it's not like I go out and just like, oh, I've got e-bike. I'm just yeah. going to cruise. Like I just get out and I start just boosting, like not, yeah. not boosting, but just like just going everywhere. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. But like, I just, I like still sprinting. I'm still yeah. like going up, but it's just like, it just need that little little i guess push to kind of kind of get me there yeah. literally a little push little push, <laughs> yeah true story and it's it's been uh it's been difficult the last little bit i mean the training side of it was one thing and my coach mark fenner and i have you know re-engineered my whole program to focus on that and a lot more days like i ride my e-bike only probably 80 percent of my week you know out of the 20 25 hours a week that i train um there's probably 15 to s- almost 20 hours of those are on the e-bike yeah. and then you know, there might be five hours a week on the roadie plus five hours in the gym. But, like, I spend heaps of time 
on my e-bike and we'll split sessions up about learning how to like technically climb um, up and down sessions, downhill sessions. It's all different things that I've been working on every week since, since, uh, since I started and, you know, trying to figure it out. And there's forever questions. Like I was going to say with your coach as well, do you guys sit down together or does he kind of like, how, how does it, how does the program kind of set out for you with that? Do you kind of trust him to like, yeah. put it in front of you and you kind of go with that or do you, and then kind of nitpick yeah. bits and pieces? Yep. Yeah, and he's pretty open to that. He's good about like he'll he'll give me something to do. I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't really work. Or I'll tell him what I want to do. We trained with power, like we trained with power a lot. Um, and over the years, like that has changed how we train for enduro. How do you mean power? Just like power like power from- power, uh, power meter. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the mountain bikes. And, yep. You know, a few years, a few seasons ago, we had a stages power meter on my mountain bike for for the EWS races. So that was quite eye opening to see what kind of numbers you put out. And um, that changed the way we were training because we were like, well, we're doing all this other stuff that's just irrelevant. You know, we need to do more mountain bike time and specifics. So it's not necessarily doing uh, 20 10-second sprints back-to-back, but you do a downhill run and it's like, all right, out of a corner, every corner sprint. And that was your session, you know, rather than just the strict yeah. power numbers. Yeah. Um, and do, you interesting, like, do you find like that makes it – oh, sorry, you go, sorry. Uh, an interesting geek data, <laughs> you know, e-bikes are for fat, lazy people or something like that, or they make you lazy, whatever the, the standard jibber jabber is. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say with that, when you change it, that make you kind of enjoy it more as well. You yeah. weren't so just like number based, yeah. like I've got to get this because yeah. I find with those things, it's like, oh, it's almost like you, it might be better for you, but then it's having a more of a negative effect on you. So like, yeah. is it better? It's like, like just say for instance, it's probably more beneficial if I went out and did 10 sprints right now up and down the road or I could go for a ride to the top of the hill and ride down a flow trail. Yeah. Might not get as fit from it, but I'm going to have a lot more fun and it's going to make me want to ride my bike more. So I'm like, right. which one's really more beneficial? Yeah, like yeah. that's just an example. But when I it get- gets to the point where, you know, like we're, we're a paid professionals to do this. So we need to do the hard works that sucks. Yeah. We need to do those little bits and pieces that it's not a nice scenario. It is raining. You are tired, blah, blah, blah. Get out, do your sprints, suck it up, princess. Yeah. You get in the gym, you saw you're tired from the day before, but that's your job. So yeah. we we have days that we don't like, but um, yeah, just back on that geek data thing, like riding an e bike for me, I've never had bigger numbers now in this present time than what I did when I raced cross country and stared at a power meter every day. Yeah, and all through the, my EWS career and and going into e bikes now, I've got bigger numbers, fitter, stronger, faster, blah blah blah. Yeah. than I've ever had before. You're doing, good, you're doing good things. You're doing good things. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty impressive. Like, you know, threshold numbers, sprint numbers, they're all like 10, 20, 30 watts more than, yeah. than before over 20 to 30 minute periods. And that's that's uh, that's pretty shocking, but cool, you know. I was going to say, at least it's shocking in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of being like, oh, we're not doing the right thing. Yeah. No, that's t- cool. That's and good. you tell people you're racing e-bikes and the con- the initial thing, and, and I guess like my reputation on the EWS circuit was known as a peddler or a strong fit, one of the stronger fitter dudes on the circuit. So when you hear that you go into e-bikes, it doesn't make sense because the stereotype is not that. Yeah. So when they think, well, you're known as the fit dude, why would you go to e-bikes? Yeah. But it's it's perfect because riding and racing an e-bike is like, man, you got to be fit. And well, strong. people don't understand. Like me and Jack were going to race at Cannonball a couple of years ago, I think. Mm, yeah, I and I yeah, I went up and did a run on it, and I was like, the motor cuts out at twenty five. You're just pushing weight there. Yeah. I was like, this isn't easy. I didn't end up racing because it was so hard. I yeah. was like, 
this is not like this isn't fun for me now. Yeah. Like this is just a struggle. And I was just like again, I was just doing it for fun. Like yep. I was focused on the downhill, but I was like, oh, I got my e-bike, might as well yep. go race the e-bike class. And I was like, I don't want to push 25, 24 <laughs> kilos down this hill. Totally. So, but then like the, the whole concept of people like, oh, you got a motor, it's easy. I'm like, you got a motor to twenty five, yep. and we go over twenty five pretty much the whole track. Well, this race was like that. You did, well, didn't use the motor once. Yeah, for, you max, for yeah, you max it out. So you're just racing a twenty five kilo bike downhill. Yeah, and uh, which feels yeah. sick, but it's. It's pretty hard work. You get a few little pinches there. Uh, stage, there was one stage, stage four. Stage four would have been good. Stage four was pretty yeah, hot. actually, I was third. I got third. I still got beaten, but I was third and I was in. I, um, <laughs> we talked because everyone. I came down and I was just like, just, just like breathing so heavy, and I'm just like, oh, that that sucked. And then everyone that came down was the same. Oh, that sucked. This is shit. Blah blah blah. After the really good stage as well, it's so funny the the difference. Anyway, the guy standing down, um, just the marshal at the bottom goes. Oh, only one guy's enjoyed this. He was on an e-bike. <laughs> we just lost our shit. We're like, yeah, we know the guy. Yeah, we know the guy. guy. Yeah, oh, it's funny. I don't know. Did you see uh, the the overall results with everyone um, for the for the weekend? Uh, like where you would have placed in just open? Yeah, well, I was seventh <laughs> overall. I think. No, no, you were you were sixth. Sixth overall. Guess who was seventh? Oh, we are? <laughs> yeah, he got me by two seconds. Oh, I got beaten by an e-bike with handguards. <laughs> <laughs> After the first stage, I was like, oh, yeah, I got, uh, got Josh covered. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, there is, there in with racing e-bikes, there is quite a quite a disconnect at the moment because a, a lot of the masses and the new people in our sport are on e-bikes. But, but they're, they're, not they're not racers. They're not racers. And yeah. now the racers, you know, it's, it's kind of, and it's something that we've been working on for a couple of months now trying to figure out how to get these people to race. Mm. And, um, cause you're trying to have a big push for that back home, aren't you? Yeah, right now, like even, even this week, like, um, Wednesday is the EXC national championship race. And we've made a course. that's really hard. Like it's, it's pretty hard. Yeah. Kind of fear. was saying that he yeah. stopped in. He's like, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. And the XEO course, they say it's gnarly and ours is even harder. So people can't actually ride up the climb. So they're talking about trying to make it easier, but I'm like, no, yeah. I'm throwing my toys out of my cot and stamping my feet saying, no, this needs to be hard. Like you're racing for a national championship event. Yeah. This is not a participation race. Yeah. Well, look at the downhill. Look what they've done yeah. for that. And it's like, you've, you've made it. And it's like, and then someone says like, it's a national championship. Totally. Like this for, from, and it's all, I'm, I'm quite selfish about it because I'm doing it for my own benefit. We're yeah. going to Monaco at the end of April to race the world cup EXC. And yeah. my plan is to race in Italy at the world championships to see if like I can, have a red hot crack at the yeah. world championships. And, um, you know, there's the last couple of years, I think EX, I don't know if cross country is suited. I guess we're getting off topic again here, but, um, anyway, back to what we're talking about, the racing, there is a disconnect between the, the people who have an e-bike and the racing side of it. The mm. racing side of it needs to be harder than a regular bike yeah, to warrant the e-bike. But that is so hard that it turns off the general population well, riding yeah. an e-bike. Cause I thought that as well. Cause I've like every time I go riding now anywhere, you see more e-bikes than normal yeah. bikes. And I'm like, I was just kind of thinking the other day, I was like, why is there so many e-bikes? But then there's no one that races. I'm like, because the people that are buying them, are just kind of your weekend guys. They're not really those dedicated racers. And then the dedic- and it helps them get out there. They Exa- can ride up the hills because normal enduro bikes now are hard to ride. Mm. So, and like we said before, you go out for three hours, you do four or five trails on an e-bike. You do the same thing in an hour. And yeah. a lot of guys, they don't have the luxury that we have to ride all day, every day. So they got one hour of an afternoon or they can ride on the weekends. I mean, you've only got five hours a week to ride or, you know, maybe two hours on a weekend. Yeah, less. If you can go and do 40K and do five or six trails, 
you know, why not? A lot of the guys at home who have them now, they've had both and they've been on the fence and blah, blah, blah. But now they're finding that it's just more fun. They just yeah. get to enjoy it. And on an e-bike, you can um, you can just enjoy it, enjoy it a little bit more. When you don't feel so red hot and you're like a bit tired and you just want to go out for a, to enjoy the mountain bike. I think that was one thing I noticed when I started riding e-bikes was um, I could go for a mountain bike ride and just enjoy it. Mm. Whereas you didn't have to like deal with the slug up the hill and be out for a training ride or, you know, be staring at numbers or whatever. You could just go for a ride and enjoy it. Yeah. Just ride a mountain bike for the enjoyment of riding a mountain bike. And that's something that, you know, you and I probably don't get too often because we're focused on a task and yeah. we're training and it's all for a result. Well, it's like talking before about race practicing in the enduro mm. and it's like that happens actually all the time, but not in an enduro sense, but in yeah. a just like trying to achieve a goal. You're so focused on the goal you lose sight of what you're actually doing yeah and that's like i guess for the people just going out and like slogging up the hill they're not enjoying yeah they're just getting to ride their bike yeah but i think the stigma of e-bikes is definitely like dissipating now and it's, it's definitely changing you still get I'm, i kind of want some better um comments <laughs> like the little jibs ah e-bikes are ruining the sport or are oh, you cheating Oh, it's. I just want some new ones. That's like, what, come on, give me some creative ones. Yeah, we're working on it a bit. But it's funny how it's like, like the the change is coming, and that's the thing. I yeah. guess you've just got to walk this line of getting people into racing yeah. while also not making it too hard, while yeah. also having it hard enough that it benefit. Like you've yeah. got to bounce back and forth between all For those sure. elements. And that, make, it makes me excited to go to Europe because everybody set that up. So here we're do, we've been doing a lot of work to, um, you know, build that racing and and get. Uh, just the exposure out there, you know, here at this enduro, there, there wasn't any by category, but there was a bunch of factors that kind of limited the participation of it. So there was only two of us, which is a bit of a bummer. And a lot of comments and people on social media or just in general, when we're chatting, are like, well, why didn't you just race your normal bike? Like, why didn't you race against the boys in the enduro class? Cause you got someone to race against. But if I did, it undoes all the work that we've done. Yeah, why are you racing worlds e-bike then? And no like, one, no one would talk about it. No yeah. one would have spoken. Oh, you race the e-bike category. Like what no one would have known about yeah. it. Whereas like I show up and I race it and I make a scene about it. Mm. Then someone's talking about it. Then someone will think, oh no, they, they do have an e-bike category or it'll give someone maybe the confidence to come and race an e-bike category because there is like, there is a bit of a stigma attached to racing an e-bike. A lot of people don't want to cop that flack. Yeah. And they yeah. don't want to cop that like, Ugh, why would you race an e-bike? That's the lazy way out. Or, yeah. You know, so maybe me racing it, gives them the confidence to say, well, no, nah, it's a race. Like, Carlso's doing it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go and do it too. And I think we're right on that cusp of, like, the, the yeah. change of Maybe it happening. last year, the EWSE not happening, I think delayed that that change that you're yeah. talking about. Like, no one – there was racing happening, but it was still kind of not – it was still kind of under wraps, COVID scenario. It's kind of weird. Yeah. All, I think all racing's been like that. It's all all, there's an asterisk next to everything yeah. that, like, comes up, and it's just like, eh, this – and it's just, yeah, I think once that's gone, yeah. it's all going to be a lot more clear and people are going to see it for what it actually is, yeah, which would be cool. Sure. Another thing, because this is just a general question that I want to know. Did you have a motocross background? I did. Yep. You did. And mm-hmm. is that, was that with, because you remember you said you were training with Ryan Marmont? Yep. And like, Okay, so just, I guess, go back from the beginning then, because I, I have no clue about this. I know you mentioned right. the other day and it kind of made me start, my podcast question mind started ticking over. It's funny, man. I, I we talking about this because I listened to your, your, uh, your Lee Hogan yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so my background was was motocross growing up as a kid. Um, you know, I was on a peewee. My dad used to be a professional motocross rider for Suzuki Australia, Matt Carlson, and 
I grew up racing motocross in the 80s and started getting into it in Junior 125. And that was the that was the dream. That was the goal, to be a pro motocross rider. And uh, Who was the idol back then? Who was the guy? Uh, back in the 90s, it was like... Well, Jay Marmont was king. Lee Hogan was king. Um, That's was Chad Rowe, Chad Reed, obviously. Yeah. Michael Byrne. Uh, it was Troy Doran, Cam Taylor. They were all the guys that you looked up to, and um, you know they were it. I, I kind of looked up. There was a dude from Queensland called Mick Cook. Yeah. Sick Mick Cook. And I remember watching him at a Supercross race in Parramatta. I was only a kid, and uh, ten or nine years old or something. My dad took me up there, and he threw his goggles out to the crowd as you do, and. Um, they fell through the fence and I tried to put my hand out and grab them as they fell down and I missed and I was so devastated. And I was like, oh man, years and years later, I was racing a supercross race in the Brisbane entertainment center. So he was from there. He was a local dude. He was one of the favorites to do well in the heat race. We come in through these whoop section and it went into a, a 180, 180 degree corner, turn back, you know, rhythm section, whatever. He went the outside. I went the inside, parked him over the berm, got the spot, carried on. Just a dude and uh, didn't mean to take him down, but it was just a supercross racing incident. Yep. Anyway, came back into the pits and he's yelling and screaming. I'm yipping and yahooing because I made the semi final and blah, blah, blah. He comes in, Carlson, you're dead. Rock and roll, screaming at me through the pits. And I was, I was only 17 or 18 at the time or something. And I was like, whoa, that's gnarly. But pretty funny. <laughs> and that was the guy. That was, that was the dude. That, was, that yeah. was your guy. That was the dude. And when I was a kid, I vividly remember that. <laughs> Just like And then I... from that moment, I was like, dude, you're a cock. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, hey, how yeah. it's like it can, yeah. And then we came out for the semifinal and he was, he was, uh, I, th- I think he still made the semifinal or he was in the last chance or something. And um, I come out and I saw him standing there and I walked up and I'm like, hey, Mick, look, I didn't mean to put you over the berm. It was just a racing incident. That was a better line. Yeah. And he just stared at, at the thing and didn't say one word. And I was like, ah, oh, righto. Okay. Here we go. Fair enough. He come up the inside of the whoops and put me over the berm in the same race. Oh. And he did it the rest of the night. I don't know. I can't remember the, ra- the end result. I didn't make the main event because he took me out. Don't meet but, your um, idols. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he, he, I wouldn't say he was an idol, but, oh, uh, but uh, yeah. you know, like when you're a little kid and one just of the, the goggles, yeah. Just one of those goggles, man. Yeah. Pretty funny. True. That's that is funny though. How like you, like I don't know. I guess it all happens to people that end up like being really good at their sport, but yeah. they they start racing with people they looked up to, yeah, and yeah. it's a bit of a trip. Yeah, like it's a it's a it's it, a massive trip. It's yeah. a trip when you like racing. When I get to a World Cup and you're almost like in awe of just being around these people you've yeah. idolized and watched DVDs of for years, and now yeah. you're like competing against yeah. them. And when you beat them or yeah. like become friends with them, it's just like. This isn't how this story plays out. Yeah. Totally. So in the motocross world, I grew up, that was my goal, right? Like we went around the country doing the the Australian motocross and supercross season in 2004, five sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah, that's when I stopped racing motocross, had an injury and it wasn't like the injury's fault. That was fine. But it was like, we had to really invest into going down that road. Yeah. It's a big process. process. And we had to. You know, my, I was working with my dad as a landscaper at the time and we had to really put some money in to go that next step and it was just not worth it. So I went and got a landscaping apprenticeship and put the motocross aside and sold all my bikes and, you know, we had we had another bunch of bikes coming from Honda Australia. How hard was that to, to do the uh, – to just, just to be like, nah, this is – Yeah, it was pretty hard. To realise that, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really hard actually because yeah. that's what you've grown up thinking you were going to do. Yeah, and, well, that's um, the, obviously I, I haven't had that moment but yeah. I can imagine that would be – a pretty like it's a life-changing moment yeah, was, you've got to go through and i was like for a while there 
you know, you do the classic, you'd like to just get rid of it all. And I was just laboring, working as a, just a laborer for construction companies or landscape companies and whatever, and partying and trying to be a normal dude. You know, I hadn't. Do you feel like you missed a lot of that? Yeah, the racing. Yeah, for sure. You feel like a lot you almost had to like yeah catch up again. Yeah, yeah. You're always away and and stuff like that. Then you go out and party for a while. You hang out with your girlfriend for a while, and it's pretty nice. Yeah. And then mountain bikes came around, and just kind of like, kind of by fluke, really. My dad was like, "Man, you'd probably be pretty good on a mountain bike." <laughs> so I went and did a mountain bike race with Wollongong Mountain Bike Club in the Penrose State Forest. I just had a shitty five hundred dollar bike. Diamondback Outlook Sport. Oof. Boardies. Oof. Had a visor under my helmet. Went up there with, with my now wife, girlfriend at the time, and we uh, had it in the back of my mum's Mitsubishi Lancer. And I had no Wait, what did you have in the back of the Lancer? You get... My bike. Oh, okay. my I, was no, like, I, was like, I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that story took a turn. Nah, she had a front seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, didn't uh, knock her out just yet. <laughs> no, nah, the bike was in the back. And I had no idea about this race. I rocked up and uh, I didn't have a clue, man. I had joggers on, plastic pedals. It's no almost idea. the it's almost the best though. Yeah, it's like I I find it funny because you know when you say some people they just they look so goon because they've got all this stuff on and whatever. Like I went snowboarding the other day, and like I'll probably look like a goon, but I just didn't care. Yeah, when you're not in that scene, yeah, it's just so funny how you're like, I like I know I look stupid, but I really couldn't care. But then it's funny how like when you'll see people like like with their goggles down around their like neck and like, yeah. and all this. And you're like, what are they doing? But it's like, they don't care. They're just yeah. having fun. It's just yeah. like, you need to get back to that state of like, who gives a shit what totally. you look like. They're having more fun than you. Probably everyone else here. <laughs> just <laughs> being that moment. So how did the, how did the race end up going? Well, anyway? well, great. I vividly remember being on the starting line and asking like where the track goes for one, how many laps are we doing? How hard is this going to be? <laughs> Do I have to drink anything? Do I have to eat anything? And there was a dude on a brand new carbon NRS giant. And at the time it was like eight and a half grand. There was an iron horse cross country bike there that was close to $12,000. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Like, you know, classic cross country scene. And I had no idea. Johnny Hardwick was there, the former editor of Mountain Bike Australia magazine. And he took off off the start and I just followed him. And he was racing, um, I guess he was veterans at the time or he was in a different category. He took off. So I chased him around. And I was a little bit back. So it was a cross-country race. cross-country race. Okay, I was yeah. Tr- yeah, okay, yeah, it was a cross-country race. So I started in cross-country when I hit mountain bikes. And then, um, yeah, like I had a massive crash, just riding way too fast for this bike's capability. Big cartwheel and gnarly set. I ended up winning the open men's. I was second across the line, won the open men's. And I'm like, wow, this this is pretty cool. Yeah. Is there any more of these mountain bike things? Yeah. Like, this is a cool sport. <laughs> How funny is when you get hooked like that and you're just so oblivious to everything, so but like, it just works. I yeah. wasn't, I didn't train. I didn't do any. I was. I don't even know if I was fit at the time. I guess I was kind of fit. Yeah. And uh, like I, I didn't have a roadie. I had my dad's 93 Shogun team issue bike that I just put road slicks on. And yep. I'd ride that on the road thinking, well, I just better do some training. Yeah. Still flat pedals, shitty yeah. shoes. <laughs> and were you like, was that like you were hooked after that one or you did a few more and you're like, yeah, this, nah, this, can, this yeah, can become was, a thing. I was hooked after that. I'm like, oh man, I better go and get a bike. Get serious. Yeah. And I bought a... Uh, what, what year was it? Two, that was 2006. And I still was doing a couple of motocross, just like guest motocross races here and there. I was motocross coaching with uh, yeah. a motocross coaching company at the time. and That's cool. So 2006 you got into it. 2006, yeah. So 2005 I stopped racing. 2006 I was just trying to figure life out and went and did this thing. I had an opportunity to go up to uh, another pivotal point of like I could have went to Ballina to continue riding motocross and a deal with Yamaha and had a job lined up and house lined up and blah, 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 and go up there and continue along the path that I was going. Um, 
or stay home and take on this mountain bike thing. You yeah. know, I'll go up there and could motocross coach. And that was like, that's what I was going to do. I mm. was a motocross coach. Did you almost see if you did that, you almost could see your future plans out? Like you could almost, Maybe. cause you've been, you've, you've, you've been in that for so long that you're like, I kind of see the end game here. Yeah. But with the mountain bike thing, it's like, this is new. Yeah. I've got no idea where this is going to go. Yeah. And, and it's I, almost I that unknown. I didn't want to leave the fam, my family either or leave my girlfriend or like, you know, she would have come, I guess she would have come, who knows? Like she would have come with me, I guess we were pretty young at the time. Mm. Um, Guess it's just a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of unknowns either way. A lot way. of unknowns. Yeah. yeah. So it, I stayed and I went and did a couple of like guest motocross races and I still got like a few podiums at a few stadium motocrosses just off the couch and I could still ride, but mountain bikes was new. And one thing that appealed to me about mountain bikes was that it wasn't money charged. Like I didn't have to put that big investment in. I went and bought a 2007, I think it was giant Anthem, like the Anthem one. It was a blue one for four grand mm. and that was it. I could do everything on that. And for $4,000, and it was up to me. If I put the work in, then I could beat everybody. That was it. The bike wasn't going to hold me back. I could jump that. I could ride that. I could, why? Well, it's, it's pretty even playing field at that point. Yeah. At that point, yeah. yeah. If I put the work in, I could be fit enough to make that happen. So that's what appealed to me rather than motocross of like having to pay for this or I need a new bike, a new suspension or better this or better that. And I kind of need to play the political game and blah, blah, blah. So that's what drew me in. True. The physical aspect. It was up to me. Mm. Well, speaking of, um, and it just blew up from there. Speaking of even playing field, um, and on that note, before I before we go any further and get distracted again, that one bike that I bought—it's the only bike I've ever purchased. Oh, really? Yeah. So after that, just made it rain. After that, just yeah, almost literally. I wasn't on a rain yet, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> came. <laughs> yeah, I was lucky enough to get support from the, from a local bike shop, Spearman Cycles or Giant Wollongong now. And oh, you got that, that way too easy, man. Yeah. I was mowing lawns and buying bikes for way too yeah. long then. I, then I've uh, got plenty of bikes I brought, but yeah, that's cool. That's really go. cool. Yeah. Have you still got it or was it gone? Nah, she gone. It's gone. I've yeah. actually got, well, I wouldn't say I've really got it. It's kind of the frame. My first, like, like the first mountain bike I got for this kind of journey, like I had ones when I was kids, but like right. the first one I got when I was like, I want to become, and it's just this old, it actually is a giant as well. It's this old, just hardtails, like oh, 800 bucks. Yeah. Dad's shed, it's just like the old frame. It'd be cool yeah, to actually yeah. put on the wall one day. I'm like, that started it. Yeah. Like that was the the starting piece. Um, what I was going to say is um, level playing field. How do you feel about, um, and I guess I'm bringing this up as well because I kind of want to tell a little story about my drug test the other day, but the, oh, yeah. I guess the drug testing it going on now and kind of how I guess they're cracking down on it more yeah. or less and how it's become more of a thing. Like, I guess what's your stand or idea on like what's going on there with everything now? Um, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, we had a we definitely had a few issues the last couple of seasons and uh, things come up of uh, the Martin Mace saga and Richie Rude and Jared Graves and, those complete stories never actually, I think that legally they weren't able to come out. They weren't legally allowed to tell their whole story. So um, it is an interesting one for sure. It's definitely murky waters. Um, you want to believe them because they're your buddies and you believe their story and you, you know, you'd hope to, you know, hope to believe that they weren't doing anything wrong intentionally. Um, at the, at the same time, there's, there's a lot of money and a lot of, uh, a lot on the line these yeah. days. It's not just a backyard sport anymore and dudes are getting paid a lot of money to make this work. So those little one percenters make a big difference. Like I don't believe that is the answer. I wouldn't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know I guess like we can't, so we can't say like, if we got on a doping regime or some like illicit substance that uh, that's going to make you feel X, Y, Z. We don't know that. Yeah. You know, if we have a salad, we feel great. If we have a palmy, we feel shit. That's yeah. our difference. <laughs> yeah. But I guess like what you're saying the other day as well about how I guess it's constantly changing as well. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to 
like something might be illegal one year, it might be legal the year before. And it's yeah. like hard to kind of, I guess you've got to be so finger on the pulse with that kind of stuff or know someone that is in your best interest looking out for you. And I think that was one thing that didn't, didn't get, uh, that story didn't get told a lot. Like it wasn't like it was a, a substance that was, uh, that was known to be banned. Like one year it wasn't banned mm. and the next year it was. And we weren't sanctioned by the UCI. We didn't have anti-doping. It was an honesty policy. Yeah. So it was just, a, from my perspective, it was in a lot of the scenarios that just got out. And, and the Martin saga was, that was a whole different story. Like, you know, he's going to lose his leg or get an injection to yeah. stop an infection. Yeah. That was completely, that was. That's a different yeah. scenario. Like I, from what I, I think know. Give it to him from the doctor. And it was from the doctor. The doctor gave a note and it was just like, even uh, Marky, his, his manager was like, look, you know, this was a pretty abnormal scenario. Mm. But um, I think there was another option to take, but at the time that wasn't available. Yeah. And, you know, there's racing and there's all, you know, our sponsors and what we do for a living. There's one thing, but at the same time, like you're still a human being. Mm. And some products, not performance enhancing, but some products out there are banned and, and illicit for an athlete but that's what they need to survive. Mm. And you're not going to lose your leg just to get a three-month ban. So yeah. It's even yeah. just like I look at the thing with Stuart when even yeah. when they said, okay, that's not illegal, but you're still banned. Yeah. I'm like, what message are you sending at that yeah. point? Like that's it just... And that's the thing. It was a message, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you hear stories from the AMA Supercross from back in the day and it was a, it was a bit of a, uh, just a free-for-all. Yeah. But when that happened, it all changed. Yeah. Everyone can, <laughs> and yeah. maybe now, like it's the same thing, like, you know, mountain bikes is, it's not a mainstream sport, but it's a pretty big deal now. Yeah. On television a lot. There's some highly paid athletes. It's a big deal. It's, mm. it's, uh, it's getting pretty well known. Um, so maybe they're trying to clamp down on it and just, uh, well, that's what I was going to bring up. They're definitely clamping down on it. Cause yeah, I, well, yeah. I felt that firsthand. So literally I think people, people, were <laughs> <hand>. <laughs> <laughs> people probably were already, already seen this, but I could get, did you make it. eye contact or not? No, I probably should. Probably should yeah. have done that looking back now, but anyway, I've already put this up on my Instagram, but if you hadn't seen it, I was in um, I was in Bright the other day, and I was just at a cafe. Anyway, missed a phone call. I was out for a ride. Anyway, missed a phone call from this number, just a random number. So I was like, oh, whatever. And then called me again, missed it as well because I was riding. I got to a cafe third time. I was like, okay, this is probably important. So I pick up. Um, this guy's from like, oh, I'm from Awad. Is it? How do you say it? You, you, uh, Asada. 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 Australian Sports Anti-Doping Association. Okay, so Asada calls me. And they're like, oh, is this Dean Lucas? I'm like, yep. I go from Sada, um, are you in Bright? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm in Bright. Um, it's all right. It's like, uh, can we meet you somewhere? And I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm in the main street. If you want to meet at um, just a bakery or something. And I kept sweet. Oh, this is a Sada. I just want to take a cup <laughs> of your pips. <laughs> and they I just d- want to wait, watch you take a whiz. But is that okay? Th- <laughs> but it was just so, like, I was kind of like a bit taken back by it. Anyway, go outside. Within two minutes, they just pull up. They're there. Yeah. And they, anyway, they're just like, yeah, we're here to drug test you. And I was just like, oh, okay. It was, just, it was pretty odd. I was like, okay. Anyway, they had their full uniform on and everything. Yeah. Just went to a cafe that my friends were working at, peed in a cap, cup, watched me pee in a cup, did all the wrote all the information down and away they went. And before they left, I was like, how did you guys find me? And like, well, we went to your house in Wodonga, but you weren't home. Yeah. Um, they actually asked my tenants if they knew who I was and they just fully just like, no, we don't know who that guy <laughs> is, which is pretty funny. I was like, oh, it's, look, Thanks, my, guys. But I guess it's just random people coming to your house. Like, yeah. we just want to look at his dick for a little bit. That's <laughs> that's it. And we want to, imagine that though. Like totally. these, people, these people have probably no idea what I do. I don't think my tenants know what I do. And right. they just, two people come in like uniforms and clipboards. Who is this we, dude? We need to see Dean Lucas. Yeah. Why do you need to see him? Oh, I just need him to pee in a cup. <laughs> I need to look, that guy, that guy's going to look at his dick for a little bit while he so, does it. I was just like, go away. <laughs> get off my, get off my lawn. And the gnarly thing about this is. I think a lot of people probably don't know, but if you had to miss that test, that's one strike against your name. Yeah. So if you miss that three times, 
innocent or not, yeah, you get you're done. You get done. Yeah, you're gone. So if if you had to miss that, then that's one strike. Against Lucky they hunt me down because they and they hunted me down through Instagram. Yeah. They got like a team of people and saw I posted an Instagram yeah. that I was in Bright a lot, just tagged it. Yeah. So they just came to Bright and then obviously did not give me time to do whatever you do if you were on drugs. Yeah. They just called me and then met me in the street and yeah. they couldn't leave me after they met me. Yeah. I think if I just say they met me and then I just pissed off, that's yeah. a failed test. That yeah, yeah, you're done. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty wild and strict world and. It's, oh. But the, as wild as as it is, it's pretty cool to hear they are doing that because you oh, did it, Connor. Yeah, the, I just, I talked to Connor. Connor's done Jack it. Troy's Maya. done it. Yeah, Jack's done it. Yeah. Which it, it, I like that they do it because I'm like, obviously, it's making the sport cleaner, yeah. and it also made it feel like, well, that's cool that they care that much that they're coming yeah. and doing that. It made me feel like, okay, I'm part of something that actually, like, you hear about that. And I guess road cycling more or less, and road yeah. cycling is obviously a lot bigger than downhill at the moment. Yeah. But it's like we're going. That's our trajectory now is to go into that like realm of like being mainstream. Yeah. Being drug tested regularly, being and doping's a lot more prevalent in road cycling because it's got a history and yeah, yeah. Our, I guess our mountain bike history is more. Uh, you party too hard the night before. Like if they're going to yeah. do a drug test, they're going to find something else that's not performance enhancing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but now it's like you said, it's getting more professional and uh, more mainstream, and it it is kind of cool that they did that. Oh, it's so cool! Like the amount of people. Um, friends of mine that have hit me up about buying bikes that were like football players, soccer players, or just just no sports. And they're like, hey, is this a good bike? Or I just brought a bike. Or yeah. just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, and look at all those guys. And like we said, if they can stay in it. Yeah. Like, pff, like days. yeah, where's it, where's it going? Yeah. Like, it's definitely on a, on a on an upward trajectory, which is really cool to see. Yeah. Um, one more thing, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go away, away soon because I've got to change tides as well and get my bike ready. But I was going <laughs> to say, give some advice on, okay, just say... Because there's going to be a lot of young kids racing um, for national champs. Some advice, not just for national champs, but I guess just in general with like what I guess you went through that you would change now or like what you think they could do or like how they could enjoy the process or like what's something you would try and give to them to take on board and actually use um, or just anyone in general, just not just like young Yeah, kids. I guess this question comes up a lot. Like people, a lot of people ask you, what does it take to, to become a pro and, and – uh, you forget, like you, I forget how I got there. You know, it's it's pretty mm. good now, and now you, you're living the lifestyle of a professional athlete. And I've been a professional athlete since twenty, I guess twenty thirteen was my first pro ride. Twenty twelve went to America, um, on just a support ride with the Giant Factory Off Road team, and then twenty thirteen was a paid salaried professional athlete gig. Um, so you forget about the struggle that we had, you know, in 2011, I went to America by myself to race cross-country World Cups. Realized that was a terrible idea. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> well, I don't know about don't do that, but dude, you're lining up in, in the third box and yeah, it's hard. just pedaling as hard as you can, race against, racing against some dude from Japan for 128th yeah. so we don't get lapped. Like you don't stand a chance. It's, there is a process to do that. That wasn't my jam. I went yeah. to America. Well, I guess that's just knowing yourself, knowing yourself yeah. what, you, what you're good at, what you should do. Yeah. yeah, and where to put your effort. Like a couple of young guys from home have chatted to them about what a pathway to racing would be and, and you know, picking picking some races to learn how to race. Like I think jumping straight into an EWS is not okay. Like they're really, really hard. And for a privateer to race an EWS, my hat goes off to those guys. Like they are doing it tough and they deserve way more respect because it's really, really hard to do an EWS in general, like mm. as a as a professional athlete, the physical mm. side of it, looking after your bikes, you know, even like coming here this week, we're all private, you know, semi privateer yeah. and looking after. You just said you got to change tires, and I got to go and work on my bikes to get ready for the EXC National Champs race tomorrow, and 
And uh, it's pretty hard work. It's a lot more work, yeah. Way more work. Like, got to edit it. this podcast. Got to edit <laughs> this podcast. Yeah, got to listen no, back know, to our. Uh, I know. I know. Sultry <laughs> I know what you mean. Though. It's just like you, because that's the thing. Like a lot of people, the thing, the, becoming a, a professional athlete, what it does for you is just gives you more time in every aspect. Yeah. At a race, in training, everything, you yeah. get the time to do the things you need to do. Yeah, but. That's the thing, but it's still, it's still hard. It's still hard. But you just get hard. more time to do the hard thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as a young person coming up, I think um, don't put so much pressure on yourself to make it happen at 16 or 11 or 12 or mm. 13 or 19. Like, give yourself a chance. Enjoy it. Like, be a part of the process. Um, if, if you're going to make it happen, you'll make it happen and you'll you'll win the races. And a lot of the time, it's hard, hard to say this to a kid, but if, if you're good enough, the phone will ring. Yeah. Like I never asked. Don't chase sponsors. I never Don't asked chase. for a contract. They like, it all kind of came around like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this? Like, Hey, we've been watching you this season. Like, do you want to, do you want to professionally ride for the giant factory off road team? Mm-hmm. Like there was a lot of work in, in the front end. Don't get me wrong. Like there was a lot of phone calls. Jared Brando uh, helped me out a lot with the giant factory off road team, telling the team managers about this kid from Wollongong, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I went to America and I made a huge commitment. My girlfriend, my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, we both quit our jobs, sold all our stuff, moved to Canada to make it work. Mm. Purely on the fact to get a professional contract. Quit everything. And it got to the point where we're, uh, you know, we're at the grocery store and I lost a bunch of races. I was winning a North American series. And then some of the biggest races of the year, there was Whistler, Winter Park, um, another big race, I can't quite remember where, uh, that I mechanical or crashed or whatever and lost them so all of a sudden i was leading the north american enduro tour the biggest one at the time and then i was nowhere and then all of a sudden i was like oh i've just blown my chance it's all over and now we're like taking groceries off the grocery belt because we don't have enough money to pay for this yeah we've only got whatever 60 but whatever it whatever the number was so we take off well maybe we'll get half a loaf of bread and maybe we'll just get some tin spaghetti for the week and you know it was to the point where i started looking at um you know landscaping jobs in the city or you know, fuck, dude, maybe we need to go home. Yeah. Dream's over. It got real gnarly. And then all of a sudden you get that phone call of like, hey, uh, I've got a contract here for you. Do you want to come and ride in Jura World Series for us in 2013? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then... Well, I think people... Like, and it's be good for people like kids to hear, well, yeah. anyone to hear that. It's just like life's all ups and downs. Yeah. And like it's never always ups. I went When I went to America in 2012, I wasn't just a dude like getting 10th fifth or 20th i was i won and mm. i went there and i won and i think like it's hard to tell kids that but at the same time if you want to make it happen you'll make it happen and when i went to america one of my first races was in bend oregon and no one had any idea who i was and i had some support from the giant factory off road team and my teammate at the time adam craig he was riding for giant he kind of helped me out but when you're lining up for the start gate they put me back in 20 something or 30 something with it, all the other guys and i was like dude I'm going to catch all these guys and they don't know who you are. Yeah. And I was standing there with Brian Lopes, uh, another dude. I think, I don't know if Adam was there or not, but another hitter was there, Matthew Slavin. And the promoters were like, well, how good do you think you are? And you get put on the spot and you're just an Australian kid. No one has any idea with. And I literally just like backed myself and they said, well, do you think you're going to beat Lopes? And I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. You're going to beat this other guy? Absolutely. You're going to beat Adam Craig? Yep. Straight faced. But in your head, you should... You should like eat like well, you had you got it's, it back it's, yourself. It's different saying it, but like that, it's almost a bit like if you can say it, it just adds a bit more to it as well. And I said it like, straight faced, and yeah. I said it was like dead serious, and they were kind of giggled. But when I said it third time and said it straight faced, like yeah, no, I'm here to beat everybody. Mm. 
and I made a huge impression. They put me up 10th and I was second that day behind Adam. Yeah. Went on to win that series, blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. Yeah. So that's backing yourself and having the confidence to back yourself. Well, and I, we, I backed myself from the start. Like we, I come home from America in 2011 with a bro, I broke my, had a crash in a little bike park there and broke the whole left side of my body kind of thing. It was super gnarly story. The kids don't really need to hear, but anyway, the dream was over. Yeah. And I come back and I'll with my tail between my legs thinking, man, maybe I should go and get a job. Maybe this mountain bike thing's not for me, blah, blah, blah. And then my, my wife and I were, like I said, girlfriend at the time, wife now, we, we were sitting at a Swans match in Sydney, having a pie and a beer, hanging out. And we decided to, nah, we're going to make this happen. We're going to move back overseas. We're going to go to Canada. We're going to do it properly. And you're going to do this. Mm. You know, she's one of the biggest biggest parts of my program and she's one of the biggest reasons why i am where i am and i i am who i am mm. thanks to thanks to her and uh I, I fully backed myself and made it work and uh you know here we are paid, paid off yeah paid off so it looks all rosy now and you think the instagram, oh, instagram looks cool and being a professional athlete but at the time all those years ago you know it was touch and go and it could dr- have been a dramatically different scenario here today if i didn't you know, back my, mm. don't half-ass it. If you're going to make it happen, make it happen. Put in the work. Get up. I used to get up at four in the morning to train for a couple of hours before I'd start work at six. Mm. Go to work all day as a landscaper. Then from 2.30, when we finished, I'd ride home or go training again, have dinner. And then some days I'd go training again for like a yoga or a stretching or whatever after mm. dinner. Plus, So I was doing a 35-hour work week plus training before and after work every day. Yeah, working as a as a landscaper, laying pavers, or as a tree lopper, as an arborist. Mm. So you're climbing trees all day, but at the end of the day, you still got you know four twenty minute intervals to do at four hundred watts. Yeah, get out, get it done, make it work. It makes you appreciate it more as well. Yeah, in that. and it's just, it's even harder now. But hard work, hard work is hard work, and if you want it, you'll go out and get it. But like we said, now now instead of being the arborist cutting the tree down, you might be able to put that into promoting yourself or resting or recovery but you're still doing all that hard work yeah you just get the time and i think that's people need to know or kids or whoever or when they start that's the hardest bit yeah it's always the hardest to start and then it gets better like it doesn't get it doesn't get like i said it doesn't get easier you get better at it and you get more time to become better at it yeah and that's your your focus you know you you find the value in sitting down for an hour Mm. like in resting and recovery and Going to the gym, coming back, having the right food, the right recovery shakes, the right. Yeah, you're still working, rest. but your work has changed to something. Go it's just, it yeah, it's yeah. You, all your work's going towards one goal yep. instead totally. of like you're working as arborist to get money towards yep. that goal. But it's still once you get paid, I guess, you, and the effort goes into yeah, your nutrition, yeah. your sleep, your recovery, everything else. So it's yeah. just like keeps building yourself up more. But and juniors, juniors have a have a like. There's a lot going on in juniors, but um, man, I I uh. I didn't get picked up till, like I said, 2012. And how old was I? I was 20-something when I got picked up from Giant. And um, I wasn't a junior. I never raced mountain bikes ever before mm-hmm. I was 21 or 22. And, um, you know, I was a, here we are. Yeah, similar story. I was I – was um, well, I had, like, rides in Australia. But yep. stuff, it wasn't until I was in Elite that I got picked up by, like, an overseas. Like, mm. Da Vinci picked me up. Shout out Paul Rowney though. Paul Rowney hooked it up when yeah. I was in Oz. Dude, Rowney had a good, he had a big influence on my career as well. Like he's, he's him a, and Sid Tabalay, yeah, and Johnny Hardwick. Man, those guys just uh, good dudes. Good dudes, man. I had conversations with him and and uh, and Breachy and uh, back when it started. And if it wasn't for them, man, I'd probably be a road rider. Yeah, <laughs> like from back in the day, I was I was on the verge of going 
to a pro road contract back in 2009, I think it was. Yep. 2008, 2009. Um, or maybe 2009, 2010. Anyway, then speaking to those guys, like, what about America? Sid was racing in America at the time. I think Dylan Cooper was racing in Japan. There wasn't much happening in Japan, but Sid was racing in America, and I went over there and raced cross-country in America, and it was awesome. Yeah. Got a bunch of great results. Fell into Super D and found my little niche. Super D was around before Enduro, and then all of a sudden I found out I was real good at it. Yeah. I was really good at breaking stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how you say as well, like, you know, he had that phone call to get you on the ride. Like, Paul Rowney was kind of like that phone because I had a point before 2013, like, I didn't have anything, like nothing. Right. And I was like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And then someone sent me a message. I forgot who it was, whether it was either, oh, I can't remember whether it was, of someone that knew, I think it might have been, Actually, I can't pick who it was, but someone said you should talk to Paul Rowney. Right. And I was just like, I don't even know Paul Rowney. Like, what am I yeah. going to be like? Hey, how's it going? And then yeah. uh, like the day someone said, the morning, someone sent me that in the morning. And then that afternoon, Paul Rowney called me. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'm Paul Rowney. Like, do you want to sort of deal? We can make something work. And I was like, yes. Sick. <laughs> now, and then that all worked into DaVinci Global. But that was like, that was the yeah, start. Right. But I just think of how many like, you know, you had that phone call to get on drive. But it's like how many top athletes now were almost just like, that close to being out or that oh, close sure. to being like, yeah. no, nah, I'm done with it. And yep. then someone's picked up the phone and like, that's just that one phone call, that one, that one opportunity, yeah, that yeah. one thing, like what that can like manifest into and Absolutely. change everything. But, and if you get that opportunity, like make the most of it. You yeah, know, like, exactly. If you can't, it like doesn't mean you have to be an asshole about it or you have to do something spectacular or like make a scene. No, just be yourself. Just be yourself, be yourself. and make it count. You know, be honest. Be straight mm. up front. Be be and yourself. Stand out in good ways. Yeah. Like even like we we're saying, like I do the podcast thing now, and there's yeah. like you do the videos in Wollongong to try and promote all that. Yeah. Like find things that people aren't doing or that you'd like to see or something yeah. like that. Like you don't have to do this stuff. Yeah. But it gets seen. Sponsors like it. People like it. Everyone and it holds everyone, a bunch of value. Everyone, yeah, everyone wins. Yeah. So it's like if you can find that yeah. niche, because like I started the podcast just because I wanted to chat to people. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it's like it's beneficial for not just me to chat to people, but totally. sponsors like it and everything else. It's like, well, that's just a bonus. Yeah. But that's the same with writing. I didn't start writing so I could get sponsored to make a living yeah. out of it. I did it because I enjoyed it yep. and got totally. good at it. So that's the thing. It's like, do it because you enjoy it and then you'll get better at it and then people will see it and then people yep. will come to you. Like be the person that people come to. Don't be the person that you like. To a certain extent, if you want something, like make, make it known that you're interested. Yeah. Say hello. Yeah. Like, oh, like, make, just make that connection. Yep. Make a friend. Don't yeah. ha, don't just be like, "Hey, I'm this person. Can you give me something? Have you got any free stickers? Yeah. Have you got Have you got stuff for me? Because people yeah. always like don't go to them. And say, what can I do for you? Yeah. Do you want a hand? Like, I used to take like the Shram guys and all that, just beer at World mm. Cups and stuff, and like that helped me work my bike. But which and has it, so much value. It's way yeah. more than just a thirty dollars six pack, thirty dollars case of and beer. And just chat to them. Yeah. Like they'd work on my bike, and I would just I would be there the whole time talking yeah. to them, and they're awesome. Mm. Like they're all good guys. But and then it's funny when I would be in the tent chatting to them about just whatever, anything, people would come and be like, oh, can you work on my forks? And they'd be like, yeah, yeah, we can. And they'd just leave them and go. Right. And, and it happened so often. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't like that guy. Like, you just went, you just threw your shit at me and said, yeah, can you yeah. fix it? And yeah, then leave. And I'd just be like, I wanted to build a connection with them. And I love those guys. Those guys let me pit with them for my, like, junior, like, before I had a team. Yeah. Like, I say it was me. Lucashaw and Walkershaw and I say we were like the unofficial SRAM racing right. before it became a thing like yeah. and we would just travel around with the SRAM guys and they just let us pit with them like stayed in there and that was like again that was like that just that connection I made with those guys because otherwise I would have been more or less with the Vanzacs which yep. I love the Vanzacs but it's a bit of a different 
yeah. environment to be in totally. when you're trying to become like a proper racer. So I had like yeah, a proper... that works for them, but it doesn't mean it works for you. But that's the thing. Like I was going into it to become a professional racer. They were doing yeah. it for more, let's have fun, let's yeah. party, let's have beers. So I could to separate myself to a certain extent. Like I was still yeah. like staying with them and traveling around with them. Yeah. But then a race weekend, I could kind of get into my race zone and they could just be in their zone. And it was just like, that was a good disconnection that I had. Yeah. So it was like, it was cool to be with them, but I also needed that yeah. just a bit more structure and... I guess just di- discipline in the sense of just like I come back to the pits and chill and totally. we're not going to go out and party and get, yeah. get met. Like, yeah. yeah I so. think a, a lot of, a lot of kids, I don't know about kids or people who want to have a crack at it. They get a little bit, um, just kind of, you know, hazed out by, by the scene and they want to be a part of, they want to be a yeah. pro athlete. They want to have the tires and they want to get all the stuff and the stickers and the shirt and the kit and all that mm. stuff. And it's not about that. No. I think when I was a kid racing motocross, like I wanted to be a pro, I wanted to be a professional motocross rider for that reason. Like I wanted to have the bikes. I didn't want my dad to have to work on them or change my tires or what. I don't think I've ever changed a motocross tire in my life. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And my dad still takes the piss out of me for it now. But, um, as a mountain bike rider, I didn't, I didn't care about all that. I wanted to be the best that I could be. And if I could, like that was one thing, like we said before that drew me in, it was up to me. And if I did the work, then that's easy. If I did X, Y, Z, then I'd be fit enough and strong enough and make it happen. It was up to me out on the course. It wasn't up to any other factor. And then now it's it's kind of the same. Like you've, you've got the support there to make it happen, but it's not about the stuff. It's mm. not about the shirts or the stickers or the hats or all that kind of stuff. Like it's about them supporting you to be the best athlete that you can be. And what do you want to do? Well, they don't, they're not going to force you to be the best in the world. They're not going to force you to go down that downhill track. It's up to you to huck that root garden or send it down that enduro track mm. they're going to supply you with the goods to do that and it's up to you to put the work in to chase that that hunger and that drive that you want that you have so it's up it, that's uh that's one thing that i think a lot of people they want to be a part of the scene they want to have the instagram friends and they want to have the you know they're the image of it all the image of yeah. it but at the end of the day it's not, it's not about that mm. you know it's a it's about a goal and it's about what value you can provide to them and and they've come to you when they ring the phone because they want you as part of their image. They 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 see what you have got going on and that's suited to their brand. So when when Scott got in touch with you and, and all your sponsors that you got going on, you got the new deal with Fist and the podcast and those people want to be associated with you because they like what you got going on. So that's who you are. So when you when you're growing up and you're racing and you're chasing these things, when you are who you are, that that's the value. Someone will come to you and figure it out. When you're trying to be someone else, then no one wants to be a part of that. Yeah. They want to be part of you. They see it. It's very obvious. It's yeah. very obvious. As much as you think they don't, very yeah, so yeah, obvious. They see it. They see it. Yeah. They, can, they, can, they can make it happen. So Yeah. Not very cool. Anyway. One last thing before we go. What what are your plans now? What's 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 your next, I guess, so what six months now? to a year look like? Oh, man. It's, uh, it's kind a bit of, hit and miss, isn't it? We're chasing a... a moving target like we all are you know you yep. guys are chasing the downhill world cup program that seems to be changing every week and it's the same deal on the ews e circuit so obviously i'm chasing e-bikes only uh we're going to go to monaco at the end of april hopefully to have a crack at the exc world cups over there and uh see what they're all about and see if um see if i'm competitive and and can go all right at those things so when i get home from here in tasmania i've got four weeks to put in a little bit more specific prep for that um Go over to Monaco, race that race at the end of end of April. Um, come back and then reassess for June. Hopefully that kicks off. EWSE in June in Valberg in France, and then focus on the back half of the season. Val de Sol World Championships in the EXE category, 
um, and then the remaining EWS e-races throughout the year. Nice. So Busy, busy if it actually happens. If it happens, yeah. And, and you know, it's a funny scenario of like going over because for us to come home to Australia, we've got two weeks quarantine to deal with. So mm. coming back from Monaco, it'll be two weeks in Monaco or somewhere in the south of France and then two weeks quarantine. Yep. But then four weeks later, I'll have to go back. You wouldn't, and you obviously, yeah, you can't stay the whole time. You've got, no, you've, got wanna, a, you've got a family and kids. To yeah, get back and to I want to come home, and it's hard. And like my wife's a superstar, you know, but mm. to leave her at home and with her job and now our life and the kids and all that, it's it's, it's yeah, it's a lot. See, you know, I'm, for I'm, five months, it's pretty hard. Yeah, so our I'm family like, is all us lucky. We got our family support, and you know, we have got a good network to help us. But it's still, it's pretty pretty hard work. Yeah, it's a tough one. So you reckon you'll do probably two or three possible quarantines? I guess. Best case scenario, I'll deal with. I'd rather deal with three quarantines. So I'll yep. come home from I'll come home from Monaco quarantine. I guess best case scenario, I'll go to France, maybe do one other race, then come home quarantine. Yep. And then there's still six weeks or maybe eight weeks until we go back to Italy. So then we'll go to Italy for World Champs, do World Champs, go to uh, the S- Switzerland Swiss Alps for the EWSE, go to Italy for the EWSE in finale, and then go to Scotland for the final round of the EWSE then come home early October for one more quarantine. So that'll be that'll be probably, you know, three blocks, two one-month blocks, and then a two-month block sort of thing. Yep. And uh, Do you have a plan for the quarantines? Like, do you have a, like, would not you? Yet. But <laughs> it, Freaking me out. Because <laughs> that's one thing I, I thought, because when I thought I was going over, when it was all systems go, right. I was just like, I'm going to try and just almost do like a silent meditation. Yeah. Like for the whole, whole time. Or yeah. just like focus on learning something like yeah. whether it be a new skill like i really want to learn french so i was like yeah if i just all my time but then right. just like all your time goes into that like yeah. literally no scrolling no instagram no facebook no yeah. or possibly maybe just reading but then just try and focus and just just see just see yeah, after yeah. like 10 days one thing well i think my the first quarantine it's going to be pretty close to the first round of the ewse yeah so my like I haven't really like I haven't really thought about it too much, but I'm hoping I can get a trainer and my bike brought up so I can still train. Yeah, at least for a couple of hours a day and do some training for it throughout that little bit. Because um, you're gonna need structure. You're gonna need structure. Gonna need structure. Or I structure. think it's gonna you'll 14 go fourteen days in a box is pretty yep. wild. <laughs> my wife's like, man, come home and just tag me out. I'll go two weeks quarantine and you swap out. With the I th- I think like I think it would be crazy, but at the same time, like there's gonna be if you if you use it right, like yep. if you use the time right, because I know. Very, you hear so many horror stories. Like people, it, it breaks people. Oh, it's. It, I, I was reading. I was reading room. this thing. It's like four days of like solitary confinement, and like it's almost like impossible not to go a little bit crazy. Oh, absolutely! Like it's just like you start hearing voices and talk, and it's just it's just <laughs> psychology. It's just what happens. It's just how totally. we. It's just how we're built. But I also think it's like it gives you a lot of time to, I guess, see into yourself in a way, yeah. and then like I said, learn something new or just yep. like really focus in on that. Because I've talked to a few people that went through it and some people were like, oh, I was just on my phone the whole time and pretty much just fried my brain with Netflix right, and other right. stuff. And then I've talked to other people, they're just like, oh, I loved it. I like, I generally had a lot of time to myself yeah. and like meditated and really just kind of was with my thoughts and, yeah. and, and wrote a lot of people wrote down, I guess, their thoughts, which oh, I guess yeah. trying to help get it out. But I think it's one of those things and this it's, it's, <laughs> this, it's probably not the best like comparison, but it's probably why TikTok exploded. Yeah, no, <laughs> fully. Yeah, fully. Because every, yeah, everyone's locked in. That's, yeah. yeah, exactly. But then it was funny because when I got my place in Bright, um, I didn't have Wi Fi. Mm-hmm. It was in like a black spot. So there was no service, couldn't take calls, anything. Yeah. And it's very different because I can just go out and do what I want. But at the same time, I was there a lot because I was doing renovations and stuff. And I was just in my house a lot alone with no connection to the outside world. And oh. I thought that was like, that's kind of similar to a bit of a. I guess silent retreat in a way. Yeah, yeah. And the amount of stuff I got done and like the thoughts I'd have and like 
actually like be like, oh, that's a good. And then like you just think deeply about things yeah. you might just like brush over before. Yep. And you realize the amount of distractions that you have that actually slow your life down in yeah. like a direction you need to go. Like I got so much stuff done. Like I was like, you just don't stop. Mm. You just keep going. And then like if you think something, you can really think on that and really dive into it. You're yeah. not like, oh, I thought about that. And then you look at your phone or something else or yeah. you get distracted by a phone call or something. There's just nothing. Yep. So I was really, I guess, I, I honestly, I enjoyed it a lot. There was a point where it was just like got a bit annoying because I'm like, you just if you just want to message someone totally. or like something like that. But life. I kind of, yeah, life got in the way, but it was a cool experience. So I think yeah. if people did go in a hotel quarantine, it's like, it is an opportunity because again, like how, like how many opportunities do you get locked down for 14 days? Totally. Like, just nothing and, but just sitting still. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, like use it, mm-hmm. use it, use it for the, I guess a positive, not a negative, mm-hmm. but I guess it, it's, it is tricky because we are so like, I guess conditioned now to just, not be distracted like people people are terrified to be about not not being distracted being alone being alone yeah yeah, so they distract themselves with everything else so i think it's like you're forced to be alone and it's a cool thing here about tassie too like you know majority of the places down here your phone doesn't work Mm. so when you come here to the bike i mean we're lucky the the bike park here in medina is pretty pretty good service around the place but derby i don't think optus works in derby still i think it's only telstra in derby and uh when you do that like it forces you to go and talk to people or you go and hang out at the cafe or you're on the shuttle or you're at, at the at the cafe at the bike park here in Medina just chatting to people and you just rock up at a table with a bunch of other random people and you just have a conversation about the enduro on the weekend or the courses or whatever and um opens up a lot more doors opens up a lot more doors anyway but being in a in a little room by yourself yeah I can't say that's I'm not looking forward to that. True. Well, on that, I'll get you out of this little room anyway. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, for anyone listening, we have hijacked um, Shelly Flood's uh, house with Connor totally. and Timmy and Josh. They've yeah. just done a podcast in their room. Yeah, in the same room that uh, after the Enduro race, there was maybe 15 dudes watching the, the Supercross. Super yeah. <laughs> so this room's just getting, uh, yeah, it's getting yeah. all kinds of things. This is the room. I think people are sleeping in here as well on the couch, so. Yeah, but how are we going with this uh, with the sound system? This is just uh, I think it was a, I think, sultry tones. I think it was a good first outing. Oh, I don't know. It's what def- have we got? Almost two hours. Hour yeah. 50. Let us know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon? Too slide, much? Slide into Josh Too Carlson's much? inbox. Yeah. Just DM him. Be slide like, into those sli- DMs. Slide into there. Yeah. A little bit more sultry tones. Um, a little bit more pain. Before you go, thank who you want. Thank all the, the people that help you out. Mate, you? I would like to say a sincere thank you to my to my team, uh, Giant Bicycles and Giant Factor Off Road Team. You know, the, the struggles we've had over the last COVID scenario, um, it hasn't been an easy process for sure. And, and uh, they've stuck by me. They've uh, continued to honor my salary and, and contract and all that kind of jazz. And, and they're throwing a lot of support behind me into this e-bike, e-bike uh, racing and e-bike world. And it's not easy. There's, you burn through, you know, even the material things like parts and suspension. And, you know, it's a constantly evolving scenario and space of, of bits and pieces. But the Giant Factory Off-Road team and Giant Bicycles and all our partners like Fox and Maxis and HT and Shimano and Pro and Barkbusters and... They've all been fantastic and stood by us. So a real big sincere thank you to everyone who looks after our program. And I've missed a couple of sponsors like Quare Clothing and Finish Line Lubes. Um, you know, everyone is part of our program, part of my personal program, my coach, my family. You know, it's uh, it looks pretty on the outside, but it's a lot, a lot of hard work to yeah, get here. A lot to of the moving races. gears. A lot, of, a lot of moving gears and, and trying to get the e-bike scene happening and racing. And, uh, you know, it's a big sincere thank you to the mountain bike community for letting me make that happen and, and the team for keeping me on and, and giving me the opportunity to race e-bikes and build this sport. And, um, 
you know, thank you. Thank you for having me on this, on this program. You know, it's pretty cool. And to see it evolve to what it is now, I definitely listened to a few episodes, like I said, and coming down here and, and hearing the insight into a couple of guys like that I grew up looking up to like Lee Hogan. And I feel feel like that's a bit of a trip, like having you on and then someone you looked up to with someone else I've had on. It's just like, yeah, you know, like we, that, that was, that was cool, man. Hearing that he's riding e-bikes and I've, I've seen that on, on Instagram and Shane Boyd, he rides mountain bikes as well. And, and a couple of those lads down there. And it's, it's a bit of a trip. Like I remember seeing the advertisements from, I think it was an Arnett. I was thinking about this. It was an Arnett advertisement of Kim Ashkenazi and, and Lee Hogan like no shirts, big buff. It was a battle of the championship and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they were the guys who were killing it at the time, riding for CDR Yamaha and, and whatever. And when I was a kid growing up, that's that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to not the dude with no shirt on and a tribal <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> you can keep that one, Lee. <laughs> bleach tips and Arnett Sunnies. Uh, Although I did have bleached hair and I did buy those Arnett Sunnies. So, I was yeah. going to say, it was, a, it was a bit of a vibe. At the, yeah, it was a <laughs> back, bit of a vibe. Back then. Yeah, I bailed on the tribal tattoo. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, hearing stuff like that, like I dig listening listening to that stuff. So to be here on, on the podcast now and maybe someone will listen to this and, you know, if you do, then yeah, let, it, let us know what you think. Um, drop me a line on Josh Carlson Instagram and, or uh, check out my new thing of the Spoken Trail. Yeah, um, I've got a bunch of videos going up. I'll, I'll shoot some videos while we're down here in Medina on Thursday morning after I do my EXC race and and get some videos like that happening. And if you have a, a riding location that you want me to come and film, or you're, you're interested to see, or you have a trail down at Medina that uh, you know we'll come and vi- come and video next time that we're down here. Yeah, um, let me know. I'd be happy to come and check it out and and just stoke out the audience and keep the fire burning no pumped pumped to have you it's 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 a cool thing that's like it's kind of came out of nothing but now it's like something that i feel like like i want it to have momentum now yeah and like i say the amount of people that actually well podcasts are booming like and they're so good to listen to it's so easy yeah when you drive and now like you know i'm gonna have 14 days locked in a hotel room mate pod get them going yeah (laughs) who else can we talk to yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing and it's so like another thing that just before we go, it's um, probably the third time we've had to wrap I know, this up. I know, it just keeps just building up again. <laughs> that was just funny. one more thing. Just one yeah, more thing. Because I look at um, what's your favorite color. Podcast. What is your favorite color, Dean? What's your favorite color? Favorite color is blue. Favorite color blue. Yeah. Is that a generic thing? I think. Or? Don't know. Right. Favorite number is number two as well. Oh, zing zing. Yeah, and they're both on the poor ball. It's blue and it's number two. I don't right. know. It's no connection there, but it's just a thing. I don't know yeah, why. It's coincidence. Yeah. But, Do you uh, play a lot of pool? I used to with my grandfather. Right. We used to play a heap. Bad. On a full size table? No, okay. he didn't have a big enough room for a right. full size table. And then when I actually got my house, Madongo brought a table, mm-hmm. played it a fair bit for the first few months, and then kind of just faded off a bit, and then ended right. up selling it. But I do like playing pool. It's so good. apparently, our ha- my family house, the one of the lower lounge rooms, I think this this story is true. It was built to be a snooker room, yeah, with a massive, big, proper snooker table, lion head corners, and it was big, fancy yep. thing. Um, <laughs> my granddad built the house. Uh, but the pool table was so big they couldn't couldn't pull it apart to bring it in the room, so it just didn't. So it didn't make it. So I didn't use it. I feel <laughs> the, like that. There was no snooker I feel table. Like should, some measurements should have been made before that happened. <laughs> so it was so big and it couldn't come apart that the house had to be built around the snooker table. But obviously not because it's you're building a house. <laughs> Pretty funny. And and that snooker table, I don't know where it ended up. I never saw it. It's just a rumor. <laughs> Childhood room. It was actually it's just all a lie. There's no snooker table. Been a lie. Yeah, just growing up my whole life. You know things was... you get told as a kid, and yeah. they're just like it's all bullshit yeah, that you don't realize as a kid. Totally, that was one of those things. Yeah, that was one of them things. Uh, yeah, yeah no, ice was... cream was bad for you. If you have, if you have bubble gum ice cream, you're gonna poo bubbles. I've never got told that. Yeah. No, that's actually real. Yeah, that's real. If you swallow your bubble gum, 
then when you go to the toilet, you just blow I thought it stayed in your stomach for seven years. I just got told to blow bubbles and I was terrified. I go to the toilet looking at my bum. I'm thinking, oh, here we go. <laughs> not that I can see my bum. I'm not that imagine, flexible. Imagine. <laughs> you blow a how happy you'd be. Imagine how good that oh, would be. But did. would it have a would it have a little did nugget just, in there? Did you just run out to your parents and go, "You're lying"? I hate all the ice cream and nothing. Nah, it was green though. I do remember it being oh, green. No. Yeah, yeah. This oh, this really took a turn. I mean, yeah. yeah, we need to end this. But yeah, I was yeah. just gonna say back on the podcasting. It's just it's funny how I feel like podcasting is growing so much. Yeah, and it's so in depth and so genuine because, like you said, you can't bullshit for two hours. Like that's who we, that, that's who we are. Whether you like it or not, yeah, it's on the table then, and right. now you can make their decision but then on the other hand it's like tiktok and instagram are also booming but they're so yeah. superficial and super, like so super superficial fake and short yeah and i think that's why i think i'm attracted to the podcasting because i'm like okay well if you're listening to it to this at least at this point yeah you're into it to some extent totally but then it's like if you're a, still listening to our favorite colors at uh two hours in then, yeah uh, it's just like we're, we're lucky you and i could could talk underwater like we could talk for another two hours <laughs> yeah, and just keep and carry on oh that's good and this is actually the first time because i've done i did a heap of zoom podcasting and that was um this is like the first face-to-face one for a while and right. i think just that fact i'm just like I, you just want to keep going because for the record but cope it's safe we're COVID, we're, yeah, we're it's on, 1.5 here yeah 1.5 we're on the, each end of the couch so we've uh, got our own microphone i think we'll wrap it up because the people probably want their house back <laughs> shelly just rocked up from doing <laughs> runs so uh we'll, yeah we'll wrap it up here guys but yeah thanks for listening hope you enjoyed josh talking uh some some actual good stuff for a little bit there and then ending on a bit of a bubblegum <laughs> tale. Can't be all good. You've got to have something to talk about. Like bubblegum. Do you listen to that Dean Lucas podcast? What are they talking about? It doesn't come out of your bottom. Oh, I'm ending it. All right. Cheers, mate.